Welcome to Hackstack Level 3. We will now be giving you all the hacks you need to build deeper connections and stronger relationships with the people you care about. To get the most out of this show, please listen to the basic training of the first two levels, starting with episode number one. And now, let's start hacking. Here's your host, Coz. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number, man, what are we on now? I think we're on episode number 23. Uh, We've come a long way. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed the last episode, Girl Power Hacks. Kind of a funny title, especially for a podcast given by a guy. But after I finished that episode, I was uh, driving in my car and I noticed a bumper sticker on the back of what else? A minivan. And it said Supermom. And I really, I really started to think about that, especially on the heels of the girl power hacks. And if you recall, the, the hack homework for that episode was to do things without expectation, you know, try and carry as much of the load at home, uh, the workload as possible to take pressure off your spouse. Uh, And if you work really, really hard, the analogy was if you did 75% of the work, you're probably actually only doing 50% of the work, and that's probably about where you want to be. But I was looking at that bumper sticker that said Supermom, and just a a funny thought crossed my head, and I don't know if maybe it's just because I'm a guy, but I picture a, a mom at home that's doing everything, cooking, cleaning, picking up kids, taking them to soccer practice, and all those things that come together that would undoubtedly earn the title of Supermom. But the funny image that popped into my head was after the mom gets done doing this, like she's complaining about that. Like she's she's doing all this stuff and then she's underappreciated, but then she starts to complain about that. And I don't know why that, po- <laughs> why that popped into my head, but then I thought about, well, you know, would I ever put a Super Dad sticker on the back of my car? That's something to strive for and... I thought of myself of like doing all of this work and trying to help the family out, but then wanting appreciation and and wanting those expectations, which are nice, but again, uh, in line with the last episode, if you can do that without expectations, that's great. But it just, it it went from super mom to to super dad. And if I'm working at home and, and, you know, taking care of the kids and putting them to bed and doing all this stuff and, you know, trying to do all these things, but if I get grumpy, and resentful of that, that really defeats the purpose. And that really is not what the the good intention is. I mean, after all, if you do a bunch of good stuff and then are grumpy about it and resentful about it, does that, doesn't that to some extent negate all the things that you did? Okay. So think about this. You have super mom, you have super dad, but what's that in line with? Well, Superman, like think about Superman and what he does in the movies. So imagine a bus full of children going down the road and the brakes go out on the bus. And the bus is traveling at high velocity now and it can't stop and the bus driver is freaking out and they're headed toward a bridge and they they need to put on the brakes or they're going to break through the guardrails and go over the bridge and plunge to their death in the water, the raging river beneath. And right before that happens, Superman saves the day and stops the bus from just teetering on the edge and he pushes the bus back on the road and he saves all the children and he saves the bus driver. Everyone's happy and and guess what? Bus driver comes out, oh, thank you so much. You're awesome, Superman. What would we do without you? And what does Superman say? Do I have to do everything around here? Can I get any help? I mean, how many times do I have to rescue you people? 
You know, would it kill you to actually take the bus into the shop and check the brakes? My goodness, it's like I'm babysitting around here. No, no, that's not what he says. He just says, uh, you're welcome, or hey, that's my duty. I'm Superman. That's what I do. So I don't know, just something to keep in mind when you feel like you're doing like too much around the house. I don't even know if in a relationship you can do too much. Just just keep doing what you do. Don't complain about it. And when you're tempted to complain about all the things that you're doing, think about a grumpy Superman, right? <laughs> it's, it's no fun. You could have all that power and do all those things. But if you're grumpy, it kind of negates all of that. So so just keep that in mind. Try to try to do these things with a with a cheerful heart. All right, so enough of my opening monologue rant. Uh, Let's get into this episode. Uh, You probably noticed that this is a rather long episode, and honestly, that may be enough to scare some of you away, but this is a good one. It's a full audiobook. Well, most of the audiobook, and it's, it's amazing. It's a book about marriage, but in my opinion, it's this is this makes great pre-marriage counseling. This if you're just dating, this is a great book. It is one simple concept that will work wonders for your marriage and for your relationship. And it will really help you understand your spouse and the opposite sex. And I think it's required reading or in this case required listening. And fortunately for us it's out on there on YouTube, so I was able to uh, put that together for today's show. But the book contains a lot of things that I call translations. And when I say translations, I mean between between the sexes. You know, something may not make sense to you, but it makes complete sense to the opposite sex and vice versa. So let me give you two examples. The first is pretty simple and vanilla, but I, I think it'll set the tone for, for what you're about to hear. So you women out there, if your man has ever been upset because his favorite sports team has lost the game, that may not make a whole lot of sense to you. And honestly, as a guy, that's happened to me. Uh, The Colts lose, especially in playoff games, and I'm kind of bummed out. And (laughs) I don't get upset too easy, but when a sports team loses, I don't know why that puts you in a funk. I mean, I'm so aware of this these days that sometimes I don't watch games because I know I have the tendency to act irrational and get bummed out by that. So as a woman looking in on this situation, you're like, this it's just a stupid football game. Like, what is your deal? You know, in extreme situations, like people get crazy and they break stuff and they get in fights and Anyway, so so for the female to look at that, that doesn't make any sense. Well, let's let's flip that around a bit. If you're a woman and you have ever, I don't know, gone to some sort of event and another girl has the exact same outfit that you have on or you think she looks cuter than you in a certain outfit and that upsets you and there's some sort of jealousy going on, as a guy, that makes no sense. I mean, it makes no sense at all, but you just have to realize that sometimes you don't have to completely understand it. You just have to kind of translate it. And so, so if, if my wife's upset for something that I think is, is trivial to do with clothing or something like that, I'm like, oh, okay, that's the equivalent of me watching my favorite team lose. I, I get it, right? I don't quite get her, but I translate it into something I can understand and, oh, that makes sense. So, so I've increased my empathy toward my wife. So that was a pretty simple example. Well, here is a a more serious example, and uh, this this may hit home a little bit. So, 
say you're at a dinner, say it's a double or triple date and everyone's having small talk and the topic of exercise comes up or something like that. And what if the husband said something along the lines of, oh yeah, my wife, I tell you what, she she doesn't exercise much and I tell you what, she doesn't miss many meals. Ho, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And trust me, I have heard stories of boneheaded statements like that <laughs> coming from men. Uh, but anyway, just, this is just a hypothetical. So as a woman, if you were to hear that, especially in front of others, how would that make you feel? That would make you feel horrible and miserable and angry. Okay, now let's uh, translate this situation. Same triple date, except now the wife says something along the lines of, you know, my husband said he was going to pick up the kids and he didn't pick up the kids and he always has to be reminded to do these things. He would lose his head if it wasn't attached. He forgets to pick up the milk and sometimes I talk to him and it's like he's not even listening to me. And he's always late for work and he just can't seem to get his act together. I, I, I don't know what to do with him. My husband, sometimes I just don't get him. Now, th- those statements may seem relatively vanilla, but let's translate it. That's the equivalent of the husband basically calling the wife fat. And what I've sort of just described and set up for this this full book is is the difference between uh, love and respect, right? So, so what the husband did to the wife and said to the wife was very unloving. And what the wife said about the husband in front of everyone was very disrespectful. And we're going to play a full book about this very subject. And you will learn just how important respect is for the man and how important it is for the woman to feel loved. And this is the concept that it takes some couples years or decades. Sometimes they never get it figured out. And the sooner you get this figured out, the easier and the better your relationship's going to be. And I know some of you guys aren't into uh, relationship books, and you're like, oh, okay, this is something for my wife. But, But trust me, both of you guys want to listen to this book because... It will articulate for you and explain things to you and for you that you couldn't quite figure out on your own. Like if you've you've ever been around your wife and you're like, man, you know, something something just doesn't feel right about this situation, right? So when you, when you hurt your wife's feelings, she cries or you can see it on her face. I mean, it's, it's somewhat, I don't know, in my opinion, depending on the girl, it, it seems like that's pretty easy to tell. But as a guy, when you get your feelings hurt, you're like, you, sometimes you, you can't even put your finger on it. You're like, man, something just doesn't seem right about that. So from the perspective of a guy, this is a really good book. And I think it'll do you a lot of good. So I, I know I really don't have to sell uh, the women on on listening to a book. Typically, uh, sometimes the, the guys are a harder sell. That's why I'm encouraging you guys to listen to this one. Uh, but it's 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 important for both husband and wife. But uh, just trust me on this. Uh, if you haven't listened to this or heard of this or um, know anything about this concept, this is a must listen to. I will give you guys the heads up that this book is um, has a little bit of religious undertones in in the background. And if you're not a, a theist in general or a Christian in particular, that's okay. March through, get some of these concepts. These things are off the chart. I mean, I've listened to, dare I say, hundreds of books by secular people and atheists, and there's always something I can I can pick up. And I've actually played a lot of those on the on this show. So in this particular case, uh, just the information contained is is so powerful and so relevant. 
and has such a big payoff that uh, I urge you to uh, listen to this whole thing. And if you're still a little skeptical, you know, just give it a listen to for about a half hour. And if, if you don't like it, that's all right. We'll, we'll see you around next episode. But I'm going to play this book right about now. And this this actually may be the last episode on level three. Uh, I may take this show up to level four. I'm still kind of plotting my next move. Uh, and it may take me two, three, four weeks. I'm not sure. Uh, so stick around. Just, just keep an eye out for the next episode uh, when that comes online. But until then, enjoy this audiobook called Love and Respect. And I'll uh, have a few closing comments at the end. Okay, thanks. Here you go. Love and Respect. The Love She Most Desires, The Respect He Desperately Needs by Dr. Emerson Egrich. Love and Respect is read by Dr. Egrich. Love alone is not enough. You may remember how the Beatles sang, All You Need Is Love. I absolutely disagree with that conclusion. Five out of ten marriages today are ending in divorce because love alone is not enough. Yes, love is vital, especially for the wife. But what we have missed is the husband's need for respect. This book is about how the wife can fulfill her need to be loved by giving her husband what he needs, respect. Here's the story of one couple who discovered the love and respect message just in time. My husband and I attended your Love and Respect marriage conference. A few days before, we'd gotten into another crazy cycle and decided we'd had enough and were going to end our marriage. We were both hurt, sad, angry, and despondent. And by the way, we are both believers and I work on the staff of a large church. We'd been seeing a Christian marriage counselor and I can honestly say that your conference not only saved our marriage, but actually helped us more and gave us more information and strategies than counseling ever did. We had decided to go as a last-ditch effort, but my husband really didn't believe it would help and almost didn't go. The truths God has revealed to you are both simple and profound. They started a healing process and revolutionized our marriage. If only we had been given this information 30 years ago, what heartaches and pains it would have saved us. And let me just say, after the close on Saturday, we spent the best afternoon and evening with each other we have had in years. It was like we were in our 20s again, and, and so in love. Emerson, I can honestly tell you, I never, ever realized how important, how life-giving respect was to my husband. What did this woman and her husband hear at that conference? What revolutionized their marriage? What caused two people ready to divorce on Friday to be walking together the next day like two young lovers? What you're about to hear is the love and respect message this couple heard. Their account is one of thousands of letters, notes, and verbal affirmations I've received that testify what can happen when a husband and wife take a different approach to their marriage relationship. Do you want some peace? Do you want to feel close to your spouse? Do you want to feel understood? Do you want to experience marriage the way God intended? Then try some love and respect. The journey to a godly, satisfying marriage is never over. But during three decades of counseling husbands and wives, I've discovered something that can change, strengthen, or improve any marriage relationship. I call it the love and respect connection. And my wife Sarah and I are taking this message across America. We are seeing God work in remarkable ways when men and women submit themselves wholeheartedly to this biblical design for marriage. We see it working in our own marriage. 
where we are still discovering new blessings as we use the love and respect connection to touch each other. If you and your spouse will practice the love and respect connection, the potential for improving your marriage is limitless. Part 1. The Crazy Cycle I wrote this book out of desperation that was turned into inspiration. As a pastor, I counseled married couples and could not solve their problems. The major problem I heard from wives was, He doesn't love me. Wives are made to love, want to love, and expect love. Many husbands fail to deliver. But as I kept studying scripture and counseling couples, I finally saw the other half of the equation. Husbands weren't saying it much, but they were thinking, she doesn't respect me. Husbands are made to be respected, want respect, and expect respect. Many wives fail to deliver. The result is that five out of ten marriages land in divorce court, and that includes evangelical Christians. As I wrestled with the problem, I finally saw a connection. Without love from him, she reacts without respect. Without respect from her, he reacts without love. Around and around it goes. I call it the crazy cycle. Marital craziness that has thousands of couples in its grip. In these first sections, I will explain how we all get on the crazy cycle and how we can all get off. The Simple Secret to a Better Marriage How can I get my husband to love me as much as I love him? This was the basic question I heard from wife after wife who came to me for counseling during the almost 20 years I pastored a growing congregation. And my heart broke for wives as they wept and told me their stories. Women are so tender, and on many occasions I sat there with tears rolling down my cheeks as well. At the same time, I became irked with husbands. Why couldn't they see what they were doing to their wives? Was there some way I could help wives motivate these husbands to love them more? I felt all this deeply because I'd been a child in an unhappy home. My parents divorced when I was one. Later, they remarried each other, for which I'm thankful. But when I was five, they separated again. They came back together when I was in third grade, and my childhood years were filled with memories of yelling and unsettling tension. I saw and heard things that are permanently etched in my soul, and I would cry myself to sleep at times. I remember feeling a deep sadness. I wet the bed until age 11 and was sent off to military school at age 13, where I stayed until I graduated from high school. As I look back on how my parents lived a life of almost constant conflict, I can see the root issue of their unhappiness. It wasn't hard to see that my mom was crying out for love, and my dad desperately wanted respect. Mom taught acrobatics, tap dance, and swimming, which gave her a good income and enabled her to live independently of dad's resources. Dad was left feeling that mom could get along fine without him, and she would often send him that message. She made financial decisions without consulting him, which made him feel insignificant, as if he didn't matter. Because he was offended, he would react to her in unloving ways. He was sure Mom didn't respect him. Dad would get angry over certain things, none of which I am able to recall. Mom's spirit would be crushed, and she would just exit the room. This dynamic between the two of them was my way of life in childhood and into my teenage years. As a teenager, I heard the gospel that God loved me. He had a plan for my life, and I needed to ask for forgiveness for my sins to receive Christ into my heart and experience eternal life.
I did just that. And my whole life and world changed when I became a follower of Jesus. After graduation from military school, I applied to Wheaton College because I believed God was calling me into the ministry. When I was a freshman at Wheaton, my mother, father, sister, and brother-in-law received Christ as Savior. A change began in our family, but the scars didn't go away. Mom and Dad are now in heaven, and I thank God for their eternal salvation. There is no bitterness in my heart, but only much hurt and sadness. I sensed during my childhood, and I can see clearly now, that both of my parents were reacting to each other defensively. Their problem was they could offend each other most easily, but they had no tools to make a few minor adjustments that could turn off their flamethrowers. While at Wheaton, I met a sanguine gal who brought light into every room she entered. Sarah was the most positive, loving, and other-focused person I had ever met. She had been Miss Congeniality of Boone County, Indiana. She was whole and holy. She loved the Lord and desired to serve Him only. She should have had a ton of baggage from the divorce that had torn her family, but she did not let it defile her spirit. Instead, she had chosen to move on. Not only was she attractive, but I knew I could wake up every day next to a friend. The Jean Jacket Disagreement I proposed to Sarah when we were both still in college, and she said yes. While still engaged, we got a hint of how husbands and wives can get into arguments over practically nothing. The first Christmas, Sarah made me a jean jacket. I opened the box, held up the jacket, and thanked her. You don't like it, she said. I looked at her with great perplexity and answered, I do too like it. Adamant, she said, No, you don't. You aren't excited. Taken aback, I sternly repeated, I do too like it. She shot back, No, you don't. If you liked it, you would be excited and thanking me a lot. In my family, we say, Oh, my, just what I wanted. There is enthusiasm. Christmas is a huge time, and we show it. That was our introduction to how Sarah and Emerson respond to gifts. Sarah will thank people a dozen times when something touches her deeply. Because I did not profusely thank her, she assumed I was being polite, but could hardly wait to drop off the jacket at Salvation Army Collection Center. She was sure I did not value what she had done and did not appreciate her. As for me, I felt judged for failing to be and act in a certain way. I felt as if I were unacceptable. The whole jacket scenario took me by complete surprise. During the jean jacket episode, though neither of us clearly discerned it at the time, Sarah was feeling unloved, and I was feeling disrespected. I knew Sarah loved me, but she, on the other hand, had begun wondering if I felt about her as she felt about me. At the same time, when she reacted to my unenthusiastic response to receiving the jacket, I felt as if she didn't really like who I was. While we didn't express this, nonetheless, these feelings of being unloved and disrespected had already begun to crop up inside. We were married in 1973 while I was completing my master's degree in communication from Wheaton Graduate School. From there, we went to Iowa to do ministry, and I completed a master's of divinity from Dubuque Seminary. In Iowa, another pastor and I started a Christian counseling center. During this time, I began a serious study of male and female differences. I could feel empathy for my counseling clients because Sarah and I, too, experienced the tension of being male and female. You can be right but wrong at the top of your voice. For example, Sarah and I are very different regarding social interaction. Sarah is nurturing, very interpersonal, and loves to talk to people about many things. After Sarah's with people, she's energized. I tend to be analytical and process things more or less unemotionally. I get energized by studying alone for several hours. When I'm with people socially, I interact cordially, but 
am much less relational than Sarah. One night, as we were driving home from a small group Bible study, Sarah expressed some strong feelings that had been building up in her over several weeks. You were born in our Bible study tonight, she said, almost angrily. You intimidate people with your silence. And when you do talk, you sometimes say something insensitive. What you said to the new couple came across poorly. I was taken aback, but tried to defend myself. What are you talking about? I was trying to listen to people and understand what they were saying. Sarah's answer went up several more decibels. You need to make people feel more relaxed and comfortable. The decibels rose some more. You need to draw them out. Now Sarah was almost shouting, Don't be so into yourself. I didn't respond for a few seconds because I was feeling put down, not only by what she said, but by her demeanor and her tone. I replied, Sarah, you can be right, but wrong at the top of your voice. Sarah recalls that our conversation that night in the car was life-changing for her. She may have been accurate in her assessment of how I was acting around people, but her delivery was overkill. We both dealt with things in our lives due to that conversation. We still sometimes remind one another, you know, you can be right, but wrong at the top of your voice. That early episode in our marriage planted more seeds of what I would later be able to describe and articulate. I knew Sarah loved me, and her outburst was caused by her desire to help me. She wanted me to appreciate her concern and understand that she was only doing it out of love. But the bottom line was I felt disrespected, attacked, and defensive. Over the years, we continued to grapple with the same problem. She would voice her concern about something I was not focusing on as I should. Did you return so-and-so's phone call? Did you jot a note to so-and-so? I would do my best to improve, but occasionally I would slip back, making her feel that I did not value her input. And then I forgot her birthday. A few more years went by, and Sarah's birthday was coming up. She was thinking about how I would respond, would I even remember. She always remembered birthdays, but birthdays weren't big on my radar screen. She knew she would never forget my birthday because she loved me dearly. She wondered, however, if I would celebrate her birthday. She was thinking, does he hold me in his heart the way I hold him in mine? So what she did was not done in a mean spirit. She was simply trying to discover things about me and men in general. She knew that forgetfulness was a common problem, and she was just being curious. As an experiment, she hid all the birthday cards that had arrived before her birthday. No hints of her birthday existed anywhere, and I was going along in my usual fog, studying and thinking. On her birthday, I had lunch with a friend. That evening, as Sarah and I had dinner, she softly asked, So, did you and Ray celebrate my birthday today? I can't describe exactly what goes on inside the human body at a moment like that, but it felt as if my blood went out of my heart, down to my feet, and then shot full force into my face. How would I ever explain this one? I hemmed and I hawed, but I couldn't explain forgetting Sarah's birthday. My forgetfulness had been unloving, and I could see that she was hurt. But at the same time, I had these strange feelings. Yes, I had been wrong to forget, but I hadn't ignored her birthday intentionally. I felt judged, put down, and, and rightly so. At the same time, I couldn't describe my feelings with a word like disrespected. During those years, when the feminists were going full blast, men didn't talk about being disrespected by women. That would have been arrogant. And in church circles, it would have been considered a terrible lack of humility. Loving Times and Spats of Ugliness The years rolled by. A blur of preaching, pastoring, and counseling more married couples, 
Sarah and I continued to grow in our marriage as we learned more and more about one another. And we had a lot of great times. But along with the loving times were spots, which I should say were spats of ugliness. Nothing was long-term. We would almost always pray together afterward, asking forgiveness from one another as well as from the Lord. But what did it all mean? Where was our marriage going? After all, I was a pastor who was paid to be good. How could I justify all my little slip-ups that were good for nothing? Tension has a way of tearing down your self-image. On the heels of confrontation, I felt I could never be good enough. And on the heels of family conflict, Sarah felt she was a failure as a mother and wife. As with all couples, the specifics that prompted these tensions weighed heavily on us as a couple. Indeed, life can be so daily. We have struggled on many fronts and will continue to do so, but now we struggle knowing we can win. Over the years, ever so slowly, we have discovered the secret that has made all the difference for us and for many other couples. The Secret Hidden in Ephesians 5.33 For more than 20 years, I had the privilege of studying the Bible 30 hours a week for my pulpit ministry. I also earned a Ph.D. in Family Studies, plus a Master's in Communication. I had a lot of formal training. But when this illumination from Scripture exploded in my heart and mind one day in 1998, it simply blew me away. I literally exclaimed, Glory to God! The insight that I finally recognized in Scripture, in which I later confirmed from reading scientific research, explained why Sarah and I would get into our arguments. I finally saw very clearly why Sarah could be crushed by my words and actions, just as my mom had been crushed by my dad. And Sarah could say things that would send me through the roof, just as my mom had said things that would send my dad through the roof. What was the secret? Actually, it was not a secret at all. It's been hidden in plain sight. This passage of Scripture has been there for some 2,000 years for all of us to see. In Ephesians 5.33, Paul writes, Each one of you also must love his own wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Of course, I had read that verse many times. I had even preached on that verse when conducting marriage ceremonies. But somehow I had never seen the connection between love and respect. Paul is clearly saying that wives need love and husbands need respect. As I started sharing my secret in messages and later in seminars and conferences, I would often run into people who would say something like, This love and respect connection sounds good, Emerson, but isn't it a little theoretical? We have real problems, money problems, sex problems, how to raise the kids, etc., as I will show throughout this book, the love and respect connection is the key to any problem in a marriage. This is not just a nice little theory to which I added a few Bible verses. How the need for love and the need for respect play off one another in a marriage has everything to do with the kind of marriage you will have. How God Revealed the Love and Respect Connection In the beginning, when I was struggling to find help for other marriages as well as for my own, I was not searching for any love and respect connection. But that connection surfaced as I pondered what Ephesians 5.33 is saying. My thought process went like this. A husband is to obey the command to love, even if his wife does not obey the command to respect. And a wife is to obey the command to respect, even if the husband does not obey the command to love. So far, so good. Then I reasoned further. A husband is even called to love a disrespectful wife. And a wife is called to respect an unloving husband. There is no justification for a husband to say, I will love my wife after she respects me. 
nor for a wife to say, I will respect my husband after he loves me. At this point, I still hadn't seen the love and respect connection. My theory surfaced as God guided me in recognizing the strong link between love and respect in marriage. I saw why it is so hard to love and respect. Here it is. When a husband feels disrespected, it is especially hard to love his wife. When a wife feels unloved, it is especially hard to respect her husband. At that point came the illumination that made sense to me, and it has made sense to a lot of people ever since. When a husband feels disrespected, he has a natural tendency to react in ways that feel unloving to his wife. Perhaps the command to love was given to him precisely for this reason. When a wife feels unloved, she has a natural tendency to react in ways that feel disrespectful to her husband. Perhaps the command to respect was given to her precisely for this reason. The love and respect connection is clearly within Scripture, but so is the constant threat that the connection can be strained or even broken. And then came what I call the aha moment. This thing triggers itself. Without love, she reacts without respect. Without respect, he reacts without love, ad nauseum. Thus was born the crazy cycle. Everywhere I share my theory, husbands and wives immediately understand. They see that if they don't learn how to control the crazy cycle, it will just go round and round. And where it stops, nobody knows. Getting on the crazy cycle is all too easy. Recognizing that you're on the crazy cycle and learning how to keep it from spinning out of control is possible if husband and wife can learn how to meet each other's basic needs for love and respect. I've often been asked, how can you be so sure the wife primarily needs to feel love and the husband primarily needs to feel respect? My answer comes in two parts. First of all, my experience as a counselor and as a husband confirms this truth. The wife is the one who asks, does my husband love me as much as I love him? She knows she loves him, but she wonders at times if he loves her nearly as much. So when he comes across as unloving, she typically reacts in a negative way. In her opinion, he needs to change into a more sensitive and caring man. Unfortunately, a wife's usual approach is to complain and criticize in order to motivate her husband to become more loving. This usually proves about as successful as trying to sell brass knuckles to Mother Teresa. On the other hand, a husband does not commonly ask, does my wife love me as much as I love her? Why not? Because he is assured of her love. I often ask husbands, Does your wife love you? They reply, Yes, of course. But then I ask, Does she like you? And the answer usually comes back, Nope, not today. In fact, now that I think of it, she didn't like me yesterday either. In many cases, the wife's dislike is interpreted by the husband as disrespect and even contempt. In his opinion, she has changed from being the admiring, ever-approving woman she was when they courted. Now she doesn't approve, and she's letting him know it. So the husband decides he will motivate his wife to become more respectful by acting in unloving ways. And this usually proves about as successful as trying to sell a pickup to an Amish farmer. Even more convincing is what Ephesians 5.33 teaches about the woman's primary need for love and the man's primary need for respect. The husband must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Could it be any clearer than that? Paul isn't making suggestions. He is issuing commands from God himself. In addition, the Greek word Paul uses for love in this verse is agape, meaning unconditional love. 
And the wording of the rest of the passage strongly suggests that the husband should receive unconditional respect. Christian spouses should not read this verse to say, Husbands, love your wives unconditionally, and wives, respect your husbands only if they have earned it and deserve it. As the old saying goes, what is sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. In this verse, respect for the husband is just as important as love for the wife. Another writer of Scripture chimes in with Paul on this matter of respect for husbands. The Apostle Peter wrote to wives that if any husbands were disobedient to God's word, quote, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. End of quote. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Peter is definitely talking about unconditional respect. The husbands he mentions are either carnal Christians or unbelievers who are disobedient to the word, that is, to Jesus Christ. God is not pleased with a man like this. And such a man does not deserve his wife's respect. But Peter is not calling on wives to feel respect. He is commanding them to show respectful behavior. This is not about the husband deserving respect. It is about the wife being willing to treat her husband respectfully without conditions. To say the least, doing something when you don't really feel you want to do it is counterintuitive. Therefore, this passage must be acted on in faith. God has ordained that wives respect their husbands as a method to win husbands to himself. As a husband opens his spirit to God, he reopens his spirit to his wife. I will tell you this, no husband feels affection toward a wife who appears to have contempt for who he is as a human being. The key to creating fond feelings of love in a husband toward his wife is through showing him unconditional respect. As you and your spouse use these powerful tools, you can save a struggling marriage from the divorce court or a ho-hum marriage from boredom and concealed bitterness. If you have a good marriage, you can make it even better. Sarah and I had a good marriage before we discovered the simple secret taught in this book, but now our marriage is much better. How much better is it? Have we reached some kind of marital nirvana and all is perfect? Hardly. We still come across to one another at times as unloving or disrespectful. We still get on the crazy cycle like everybody else. But we made a decision that has changed the course of our marriage for the good. If only my mom and dad could have discovered this. Sarah and I now know how to reduce the number of times we spin on the crazy cycle. And we often stop it before it gets started. What is this life-changing decision we have made? I've decided to believe that Sarah does not intend to be disrespectful. Oh, she can get nasty. But that isn't how she feels in her heart. I know she respects who I am deep inside. Sarah has decided to believe that I do not intend to be unloving, though I still hurt her at times with my comments and attitudes. She knows that in my heart I love her deeply and would even die for her. So how does all this actually play out? I'd like to illustrate with eggs and towels. Sarah can't stop peppering the eggs. Sarah likes pepper on her eggs. I do not. In her view, scrambled or sunny-side-up eggs need to be peppered until black. In the course of our marriage, Sarah has fixed me eggs hundreds of times, and she has put pepper on these eggs just about every time she cooks them, even though she knows I don't like peppered eggs. But I've concluded that Sarah is not doing this despite me or because I'm unimportant to her. I know her heart. She has even muttered in frustration after peppering the eggs again, well, they aren't any good if they don't have pepper. 
As baffled as I am by this constant peppering, I have not concluded that Sarah's plotting to change me or irritate me. I know Sarah's thinking of other things. She's on autopilot when she peppers my eggs. I've told her hundreds of times, please don't put pepper on my eggs. If she really respected me, wouldn't she listen to me? Wouldn't it be natural for me to explode in anger, especially if I can predict this again? Wouldn't it be right for me to become doubtful of her good intentions? Wouldn't it be right for me to start keeping track of many annoying things she does, like peppering my eggs? All this would prove I really don't matter to her, wouldn't it? But I'm able to interpret Sarah much less negatively than that because I've decided that she does not intend to be disrespectful, not in her deepest soul. Emerson can't put things where they belong. I leave wet towels where they don't belong. I leave a loaf of bread on the counter. I leave the cupboard doors open. I leave books stacked on the living room floor. I have an excuse, of course. I'm mentally preoccupied. As Sarah says, he's always thinking. Sometimes I stun myself by what I do or don't do. Looking back at the cupboard doors, I realize most of them are still open. I say to myself, why didn't I close those doors? Where was my mind? Or I leave towels lying on the bedroom floor instead of hanging them up in the bathroom. By the way, this is where we've learned to keep things light, which releases tension. When Sarah dangles the towel in front of my face, I smile and say, What a coincidence! I was just going to hang that towel up. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not a pig, but I'm married to Sarah, who is the epitome of neatness and cleanliness, and I flunk by her standards. She is not a perfectionist, but she's logical. Why leave a towel on the bed when a rack is in the bathroom waiting for the towel? And why leave a cupboard door open when the hinge functions both ways? Why leave the books on the floor when it would only take a few seconds to put them on the bookshelf? But Sarah has not concluded that this means I'm out to ignore her or irritate her. She knows I'm thinking of other things, that I'm on autopilot as I come and go. Yet she has told me thousands of times, please pick things up and put them away, okay? Wouldn't it be easy for her to say, if you really loved me, you would listen to me? Wouldn't it be natural for her to explode in anger? Wouldn't it be right for her to become doubtful of my good intentions? Wouldn't it be right for her to start keeping track of the many things I do like this? After all, surely all this would prove she really doesn't matter to me. But Sarah is able to see me in a more positive light because she has decided to believe that I do not purpose to be unresponsive and unloving, not in my deepest soul. Yes, Sarah and I both have our faults. The crazy cycle always wants to spin, but we can control it by remembering the love and respect connection. We know this works, and there's much I want to share about how and why it works. The first step is understanding just how husbands and wives communicate. To communicate, decipher the code. If husbands and wives are to understand the love and respect connection, they must realize that they communicate in code. And the problem is, they don't know how to decipher the messages they send to one another. A couple was about to celebrate their 10th wedding anniversary, and the wife began to wonder if her husband would remember. There had been plenty of times during the past decade when he'd forgotten their anniversary altogether. No matter what she did, little hints, bigger hints, he would miss it. But on their 10th wedding anniversary, with no hints at all, he remembers. He makes a beeline for a hallmark and is soon gazing upon all those racks full of greeting cards. One colorful card quickly catches his eye. He skims the words. They're perfect. He thinks this card is her, no doubt about it. He grabs it off the shelf, pays the clerk, and hurries home rejoicing. Finally, he has remembered their anniversary, and a special one it will be, too. 
She is there when he arrives at home, so he sneaks the card into another room, signs it, and quickly writes her name on the envelope. He even adds a couple tiny hearts over her name as an extra touch. Then he comes out and hands his wife her 10th anniversary card. She beams from ear to ear. <laughs> she is so happy. Finally, he has remembered. She tears open the card and begins to read, and then her face falls. The eyes that had been bright with loving energy turn cold. Her beaming countenance becomes sour and dark. What's wrong? Her husband asks. He's a very sensitive guy, and he can pick up on these things. Nothing. There is, too. What's wrong? No, there's not. Nothing's wrong. But there is. I can see it. What is it? Well, it's not bad for a birthday card. As you might guess, the conversation is headed downhill from here. You're kidding, says the husband, grabbing the card from her hand. No way! Unbelievable! No, you're unbelievable. The husband blinks in the face of his wife's very real anger. He knows he's full of goodwill. He has remembered their tenth anniversary. He has bought her a present as well as a card. Well, I made an honest mistake, okay? Give me a break. Give you a break? An honest mistake? Oh, it was an honest mistake, all right, because you just don't care. Do you, do you know what? If you took your car in to be detailed and they, they put a stripe on the side of that car that was even a, a fraction of an inch off, you would notice that. Why? Because you care about it. But you don't care about our anniversary. You don't care about me. The husband can't believe it. He's moving from feeling guilty to getting angry. What he thought would be a loving celebration of their 10th anniversary has become a conflict that is escalating fast. Approximately two minutes had passed since he handed her the card. This couple, a husband and wife, who truly love each other and both have goodwill, have come home expecting to spend a wonderful romantic evening together. Instead, they end up stomping to opposite ends of the house, staring out the windows into the darkness, wondering how it ever had come to this, and thinking, this is crazy. This story is based on an actual incident, and I've collected many others like it from couples Sarah and I have counseled. Angry exchanges are caused when the husband appears careless, depriving his wife of love, and when the wife reacts with criticism and complaints that are contemptuous, depriving the husband of respect. And why should she be respectful? The stupid oaf doesn't deserve her respect. All you want me for is sex. Here's one more example. The husband has gone for a week on a business trip. As his plane lands, he starts envisioning a romantic sexual evening with his wife, so he hurries home as quickly as he can. As he walks in the door, his wife's first words are, What are you doing home so early? Well, since you're here, I need you to pick the kids up from school, and don't forget we have a parent-teacher meeting tonight. Oh, yes, I want to talk to you about Billy. The teacher called today and said he had been showing off and distracting his friends in class. And on the way to the school, can you do me a favor and pick up my clothes at the cleaners? Oh, and I almost forgot. Dinner will be late because my sister is dropping over for coffee. So much for the romantic evening planned by our knight of the business road, who has wound up playing second fiddle to the kids, the cleaning, and his wife's sister. On his way out the back door, he calls sarcastically over his shoulder, Great to see you after a week. His wife is bothered by his sarcastic tone. But just as he walks out, the phone rings, and she doesn't have time to follow him outside to ask him what he meant. Later, during the parent-teacher meetings, she senses he is still angry. But on the way home, she says nothing. She is exhausted from all the week's activities, and she is upset because he's never asked her once about all she has had to deal with.
she wonders what right he has to be upset with her when he is the one being unreasonable. As they retire into bed that night, the husband decides that he will make up with his wife in the most obvious and natural way. As he reaches to rub her back, which is usually a good way to get started, she groans, Don't. I'm too tired. Angrily, he rolls away from her without saying a word. Wounded by his anger, she says, You're so insensitive. In disbelief, he replies, I can't believe you said that. I I've been gone for a week. I come home, and instead of any kind of greeting, you just go on about the kids and your sister. And when I try to get close, you tell me you're too tired. And then you call me insensitive. You know, am I just a meal ticket to you? By now the wife is very hurt, and she retorts, You never asked once how I was doing. The only time you get interested in me is for sex. I was gone a week. When we were first married, and I had to travel, you couldn't wait to see me get home. You'd greet me at the door with a smile and a kiss. Now you simply look up and say, Why are you home so early? Thanks. That makes my day. Craziness. Just keep flipping the light switch. Stories like these are not unusual. Every married couple has versions of their own. Around and around it spins. I call it the crazy cycle. So many people are on the crazy cycle that five out of ten couples in the church are divorcing, and the craziness seems to be getting worse. It's like someone coming into a room, flipping the light switch, and discovering the lights won't come on. If someone tries the switch two or three times with no results, you can understand. He will eventually figure it out. A tripped circuit breaker. A burned-out bulb. But if he stands there and flips the switch constantly for half an hour, you begin to wonder, is this guy a little crazy? The point is simple. Craziness happens when we keep doing the same things over and over and over with the same ill effect. Marriage seems to be fertile ground for this kind of craziness. Why do couples communicate in code? Communication in marriage has been described, discussed, and dissected in hundreds, if not thousands, of books and articles. Why is communication between husbands and wives such a problem? It goes back to the fact that we send each other messages in code, based on gender, even though we don't intend to. What I say is not what you hear, and what you think you heard is not what I meant at all. Let's see how this plays out at home as a couple is getting dressed to start the day. She says, I have nothing to wear. She means she has nothing new. He says, I have nothing to wear. He means he has nothing clean. There is no serious danger of conflict here, but the nothing to wear line illustrates that we all see things out of our own needs and perceptions. They're both using the same words, but they mean something totally different. When the issue isn't the issue, in almost every case, the issue that seems to be the cause of the craziness is not the real issue at all. Do you ever get into a conflict with your spouse, but you aren't sure why? You see your spouse deflate or bristle or go cold, and then you think, What's wrong now? What in the world has happened? Typically, you write it off by saying, If only she weren't so touchy, or if only he weren't so childish. Of course, if you're the one who's offended, that's different. Your spouse is guilty of stepping on your toes again. Just because you may feel unloved or disrespected does not mean your spouse is sending that message. When the wife felt unloved because she got a birthday card for her 10th anniversary, it did not mean the husband was sending her a message saying, I really don't care about you or love you. 
At the same time, when his wife reacted in an angry and disrespectful way, that did not mean her message was, I don't respect you any farther than I can throw you. The wife needs love. She's not trying to be disrespectful. The husband needs respect. He's not trying to be unloving. Once you grasp this basic principle, that the issue is not the real issue at all, you are on your way to cracking the communication code. We're as different as pink and blue. When the issue isn't the real issue, it is crucial to understand that one thing is going on in the spirit of the wife and an entirely different thing is going on in the spirit of the husband. The opening chapters of Genesis tell us God created them male and female. And that's hardly news. But what it underlines is that men and women are very different. For example, Peter notes that difference when he instructs husbands to treat wives in a very specific way, quote, since she is a woman, end of quote, 1 Peter 3, 7. The way I like to picture the difference between men and women is that the woman looks at the world through pink sunglasses that color all she sees. The man, however, looks at the world through blue sunglasses that color all he sees. Men and women can look at precisely the same situation and see it much differently. Inevitably, their pink and blue lenses cause their interpretation of things to be at odds to some degree. Not only do men and women see differently, but they also hear differently. To carry the pink and blue analogy a little further, God created men with blue hearing aids and women with pink hearing aids. They may hear the same words, but get much different messages, as in, I have nothing to wear. I have nothing to wear. Because men and women have sunglasses and hearing aids in different colors, they send each other messages in different codes. When the spirit of your wife deflates before your eyes and you suddenly sense an issue, she's sending a code. Of course, if there were a thousand women watching and listening wearing their pink sunglasses and pink hearing aids, they would quickly say, Well, I know why that sweet thing is, is shutting down in him. She's so sweet and tender. I can't believe it. Look at how he's talking to her. To women, the code is obvious as they decipher the message through pink sunglasses and pink hearing aids. No wonder they often think men are so brain dead. They have two brains. One's lost and the other's out looking for it. But turn it around. When the wife sees the spirit of her husband deflate or he gets angry and won't talk, his behavior seems childish to her. But if a thousand men with blue sunglasses and blue hearing aids were watching and listening, they would say, I know why that guy shut down on her. Good grief. Look at the way she's talking to him. Unbelievable. Get that witch a broom. Are you beginning to see why male and female communication can be such a problem? Let's go back to the story of the anniversary card that turned into Happy Birthday. When the wife sees that her husband has purchased a birthday card, her spirit deflates in an instant. He has forgotten their anniversary many times, but this is the last straw. Obviously, her husband doesn't even love her enough to take the time to read a card he bought for her. So she sends him an angry message, and of course it was in code. Does he decode her words and expressions correctly? Of course not. He's wearing blue sunglasses. All he sees is anger, irritation, and disrespect. He feels guilty, then irritated. After all, he made an honest mistake. Give him a break. But the wife peers through her pink sunglasses, and she will have none of this honest mistake bit. She takes the conflict to a new low by assassinating his character. He thinks more of his car than he thinks of her. That does it. He is glad he bought her a birthday card. It serves her right. He doesn't have to deal with this, and he walks out. So, 
They both spend their 10th anniversary wondering how a little thing like a card could cause so much craziness. But of course, the card wasn't really the issue. The real issue was that the wife felt unloved and responded the only way she knew how, by getting in her husband's face and telling him off. Now, not all wives do that, but most lean in that direction at such moments. With her pink sunglasses and pink hearing aids firmly in place, she wanted him to be genuinely sorry, not defensive, but asking for forgiveness. Then they could have gone out for a nice dinner. But his blue sunglasses and blue hearing aids wouldn't let that happen. His real issue, which he probably couldn't even verbalize, is that he felt disrespected. He would show her, and so two essentially good-willed people, let me repeat, two good-willed people, wound up spinning on the crazy cycle with no clue about how to slow it down or stop it. What do I mean by good-willed people? Simply that both of these people love each other a great deal. They do not mean real harm. They do not intend real evil toward one another. They are hurt and angry, but they still care deeply for one another. That is why they spent their anniversary evening in separate rooms, miserable, wondering how this whole stupid thing could have happened. And the reason neither will figure it out is that each blames the other for the whole sorry affair. Scientific research confirms the centrality of love and respect. As long as spouses do not learn to decode the pink and blue messages they are sending one another, the crazy cycle will spin and spin some more. Interestingly enough, scientific research confirms that love and respect are the foundation of a successful marriage. Dr. John Gottman, professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Washington, led a research team that spent 20 years studying 2,000 couples who had been married 20 to 40 years to the same partner. These people came from diverse backgrounds and had widely differing occupations and lifestyles. But one thing was similar, the tone of their conversations. As these couples talked together, almost always there was what Gottman calls, quote, a strong undercurrent of two basic ingredients, love and respect. These are the direct opposite of an antidote for contempt, perhaps the most coercive force in marriage. End of quote. Gottman's findings confirm what has already been in Scripture for some 2,000 years. Chapter 5 of Ephesians is considered by many to be the most significant treatise on marriage in the New Testament. Paul concludes these statements on marriage by getting gender-specific in verse 33. He reveals commands from the very heart of God as he tells the husband he must love, that is, agape love, his wife unconditionally. And the wife must respect her husband, whether or not her husband comes across as loving. Note, however, that this verse gives no command to a wife to agape love her husband. As I studied this verse over the years, I began to ask, why is there no command for a wife to agape her husband? And then it struck me, the Lord has created a woman to love. Her whole approach to nurture, her sensitivity, love, and compassion are all part of her very nature. In short, God designed the woman to love. He's not going to command her to agape her husband when he created her to do that in the first place. God is not into redundancy. Let's go a little further with this and skip over to Titus 2.4. Here, older women are told to encourage younger women to love their husbands and children. But in this case, Paul is not talking about agape love. In Titus 2.4, he uses the Greek word phileo, which refers to the human, brotherly kind of love. The point is, a young wife is created to agape her husband and children. Ultimately, 
she will never stop unconditionally loving them. But in the daily wear and tear of life, she is in danger of becoming discouraged, so discouraged that she may lack phileo. A kind of impatient unfriendliness can come over her. She may scold and sigh way too much. After all, there is always something or someone who needs correcting. She cares deeply. Her motives are filled with agape, but her methods lack phileo. Not every woman has this problem, but I've counseled many who admit they do have their periods of negativity concerning husbands or the children. Sometimes this is known as PMS. I call it pre-murder syndrome. Everyone ducks for cover when mom is in this kind of mood. No one doubts her basic mother love, but sometimes they're not so sure she really likes them. Part of the problem, however, is that women are not at all sure they are being loved, especially by their husbands. The question continues to come up, does he love me as much as I love him? It sure doesn't seem like it. When he acts or reacts in ways that seem unloving to her, she reacts in ways that feel disrespectful to him. Who started it? Yes. You're stepping on my air hose. The more I meditated on these two passages of Scripture, the more I realized that if a husband is commanded to agape love his wife, then she truly needs love. In fact, she needs love like she needs air to breathe. Picture, if you would, the wife having an air hose that goes to a love tank. When her husband bounds in and starts prancing around like a ten-point buck looking for some place to graze, he steps on her air hose. This does not make her a happy camper. In fact, if she can find a baseball bat or some other weapon, she might just whack the big buck and tell him, Get off my air hose! I can't breathe! Simply put, when her deepest need is being stepped on, you can expect her to react negatively. In counseling, I tell the husband that when he sees the spirit of his wife deflate, he is stepping on her air hose. She's not getting the air she needs to breathe. She is crying out, I feel unloved by you right now. I can't believe how unloving this feels. I can't believe you're doing this to me. Not only is the husband commanded to love his wife, but the wife is commanded to respect her husband. You see, the husband needs respect just as he needs air to breathe. He also has an air hose that runs over to a big tank labeled respect. And as long as the air is coming through, he is just fine. To keep the deer analogy going, suppose the wife, a lovely doe, starts tromping on his air hose with her sharp little hoofs. As we've seen in the story like the 10th anniversary birthday card, the wife may have had good reason to prance all over her husband's air hose. But what's going to happen? As his air hose starts to leak because of all the little cuts her hoofs have made in it, the husband is also going to react because his deepest need for respect is not being met. And the battle is on. Husbands and wives keep spinning on the crazy cycle because they don't understand that what seems to be the issue isn't the issue at all. The real issues are always love and respect. Everything else is just filling in the details. Men hear criticism as contempt. Women feel silence as hostility. Let me emphasize to wives that when men hear negative criticism... It doesn't take them long to start interpreting that as contempt for who they are as men. Remember, the man is wearing blue hearing aids. When his wife sends out those pink but very pointed messages and his air hose starts to leak, he soon says to himself, I don't deserve this kind of talk. Everybody respects me except you. You're just picking a fight. I wish you would just be quiet. When a husband can take it no longer, he gets up and walks out without a word. And that is the coup de grace. He might as well have screamed at the top of his lungs, I don't love you, woman. The wife is dazed 
First, she has been treated unlovingly. Second, she has tried to move toward her husband by doing the loving thing. We need to talk. And now he has shown her he is the most hostile, unloving human being on the planet by just walking away and leaving her there. That does it. She is not far from thinking she has all kinds of grounds for divorce. But if she stops to think, she'll realize that she started the whole thing with a criticism. Often both spouses have goodwill but are not deciphering each other's code. She criticizes out of love, but he hears only disrespect. He distances himself to prevent things from escalating, which is the honorable thing to do. But she sees only his failure to be loving. This attitude of men goes a lot deeper than the fact that they might be immature or proud. Men have an honor code. When a wife comes at a husband who has basic goodwill, he doesn't want to fight verbally or physically. As his wife rails on him or criticizes, he sits there quietly, which makes her angrier than ever. Because her frontal attack isn't working, she soon sees him as cold and uncaring. Meanwhile, he's thinking, I can't believe this. My wife is treating me with disrespect. In fact, it's really contempt. All she can say is that I'm unloving. The crazy cycle continues to spin. As she gets louder, he gets quieter. Soon she may be screaming at him with venomous words that he's never heard in all of his life. As a rule, women have learned to fight with words. They are masters of the art. And husbands can feel helpless before the onslaught. I want to underline that this happens all the time with couples who actually have good intentions, and maybe more so because they feel freer to let down their guard and express what upsets them. Most husbands and wives who are on the crazy cycle have basic goodwill toward one another, but they just don't know how to express it. And so the crazy cycle eventually spins many of them right into separation and divorce. I've had couples fighting with one another in my office, and I've said, Time out! Time out! Sir, uh, let me ask you something. Does your wife have basic goodwill toward you and others? W would you entrust the children to her? Oh, absolutely. Ma'am, uh, does he have basic goodwill toward you and others, and would you entrust the children to him? Of course. Then what is going on with you two? How can two goodwilled people treat one another this way? The husband and wife will look at me as if to ask, Why don't you tell us? All we know is we fight and fight and fight, and usually we really don't know why. As I've tried to explain to many couples over the years, a major part of the answer is learning how to decode each other's message. Whenever a wife is complaining, criticizing, or crying, she is sending her encoded message, I want your love. And whenever a husband is speaking harshly or sometimes not speaking at all, he is sending his encoded message. I want your respect. We've begun to see how this decoding can start to happen. But there are still problems that stand in the way. Men, for the most part, are masters at stonewalling their wives who confront them because they feel unloved. And many women are so fed up with husbands who don't seem to want to love them that the last thing they want to grant is respect. These women say the husband has to earn her respect before she will grant it. But, of course, if she continues to disrespectfully hammer at him, especially when he is trying to do the honorable thing, nothing much will happen. We'll look at how all this plays out and how husbands and wives can deal with these problems next. Why she won't respect, why he won't love. Unconditional respect, an oxymoron? When I talk to wives, they have no trouble grasping the concept of unconditional love. After all, they are wired that way. 
But when I mention showing unconditional respect for a husband, it's a much harder sell. Few seem to have considered 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Peter reveals that husbands who are, quote, disobedient to the word, end of quote, meaning they are undeserving of respect, quote, may be won by respectful behavior, end of quote. A simple application is that a wife is to display a respectful facial expression and tone when he fails to be the man she wants. She can give her husband unconditional respect in tone and expression while confronting his unloving behavior and without endorsing his unloving reactions. He may deserve contempt, but that doesn't win him any more than harshness and anger wins the heart of a woman. Interestingly, at first, men don't grasp the idea of unconditional respect either. Wives and husbands believe respect ought to be earned. The wife feels her husband doesn't deserve respect. The husband wants to earn respect, but he doesn't feel he deserves the kind of disrespect he's getting from his wife. When the wife flatly says her husband will have to earn her respect before she gives him any, she leaves the husband in a lose-lose situation. Now he's responsible for both love and respect in the relationship. He must unconditionally love his wife and also must earn her respect. Is it any wonder he shuts down in the face of all that? It all goes back to pink and blue. Respect for husbands is an unfamiliar idea for many wives, but there certainly are reasons for their attitude. Part of it goes back to those pink and blue sunglasses and hearing aids. As one wife put it, we think so differently. I don't even relate to what he considers respect or the lack of it. Another obvious reason for the respect gap in women is the crude and unloving behavior of their husbands. I'm well aware that many a wife has good reasons to get in her husband's face. I've heard it all for more than a quarter of a century. But that's not the total picture. There is also the cultural mindset. For the past 40 years, the American church has preached unconditional love. I preached it for many years in my own church, as I remain clueless about the importance of unconditional respect. But all of the emphasis on unconditional love hadn't motivated or equipped many men to be loving, at least not as loving as their wives would like. What was missing was that very short phrase, The wife must respect her husband, Ephesians 5.33. As I changed my message to include the whole truth, love and respect, I got interesting reactions. In one case, I spoke twice to a group of 200 women on the topic of respecting their husbands. I made myself available for a third talk, but the leadership of the group declined. Instead, they asked a female friend of mine to address the topic, How to Love Your Husband. My friend had heard me speak, and she dropped me a note. That was your point, how to love your husband. She could not believe how this group of women had missed it. The way to fully love a husband is to respect him in ways that are meaningful to him. I survived being fired by that group of women and went on to spread the message of unconditional respect wherever I could. And many wives are getting the message, including one who reported, I have led several studies on being a godly wife and have read and hopefully applied lots of biblical marriage resources, but I knew something was still missing even in my own relationship. I could not figure out why my husband was staying somewhat aggravated with me and I was definitely not receiving the love and affection that I so desired. Now I realize that I have been showing him disrespect without ever dreaming that was what was being communicated. I tried respect. I was amazed at the result. My husband is definitely not a sweet talker. He is an outdoorsman who hunts all over the world. That's our business. Anyway, I thought this feels kind of silly, but I said to him, Honey, I couldn't sleep very well last night, so I 
I spent a lot of time thinking of all the things I respect about you, which was true. He did not respond, but I, I, I did feel a softening in the air. Two days later, after spending all day in the duck blind with several men, he said to me, I missed you today. I wish you could have gone with me. I thought all day about what a sweet girl you are. <laughs> I nearly laughed out loud. He called me a sweet girl. I'm a grandmother. But, oh, it is so fun to feel loved. I am now aware of so many ways that I was communicating disrespect without meaning to. Respect does something to the soul of a man. God made him that way. What about Aretha and R-E-S-P-E-C-T? I sometimes get the question, you say women need love and men need respect. Isn't the opposite just as true? Don't gals need respect and guys need love? My answer is, of course, women need respect and guys need love, but I'm talking about the primary drive in each sex. Sometimes this gets mixed up. Back in the late 1960s, when the feminist movement was hitting its stride, Aretha Franklin released a hit record entitled R-E-S-P-E-C-T, which clearly sent the message that all women were asking for was a little respect when they got home. Respect is what women needed, and they had to have it. R-E-S-P-E-C-T became something of a theme song for many women, but what most of them did not realize is that the song was really written by a man, Otis Redding, two years before Aretha ever sang it. Otis released the song as a single on August 15, 1965, as his message to his wife. Does the irony of this strike you as it does me? Aretha had the right to sing R-E-S-P-E-C-T from a female point of view, of course, a woman does need respect, and if a man loves her properly, she'll get that respect. But the primary meaning in Otis Redding's song is a cry from a man's deepest soul that says respect is what he needs, and he's got to have it. Respect is a man's deepest value. Women need to learn how to understand and use the word respect because, in truth, respect is a man's deepest value. Ever since I started developing a love and respect approach to marriage, I knew the scriptures plainly taught about the male need for respect, and my own observations confirmed this. But I was always curious. Would these ideas stand up to statistical analysis? Would this need for respect by men show up in research done by a top-notch survey group? Yes, it would. In one national study, 400 men were given a choice between going through two different negative experiences. If they were forced to choose one of the following, which would they prefer to endure? A. To be left alone and unloved in the world. B. To feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone. Again, let me repeat that. A. To be left alone and unloved in the world. Or B. To feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone. Seventy-four percent of these men said that if they were forced to choose, they would prefer being alone and unloved in the world. For these men, the greater negative experience for their souls to endure would be to feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone. I've had numerous men confirm this research by telling me, I would rather live with a wife who respected me but did not love me than with a wife who loved me but did not respect me. These men are not saying they are indifferent to love. They know they need love, but they need to feel respected even more than to feel loved. Perhaps a good analogy is water and food. We need both to survive, but we can live longer without food than without water. For men, love is like food and respect is like water. Enough said. Respect is the key to motivating a husband.
Husbands are to value wives as equals. Paul's writings clearly command men to agape love their wives. See Ephesians 5.22 through 33. But is there any place in Scripture where men are instructed to respect their wives as well? After teaching wives to behave respectfully before their husbands, 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, Peter goes on to tell husbands to live in an understanding way with their wives, and quote, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, end of quote, 1 Peter 3, 7. When Peter uses the phrase, quote, show her honor as a fellow heir, end of quote, he is telling husbands to value and prize their wives as equals within the grace of God. Paul concurs when he writes that in Christ, quote, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, end of quote, Galatians 3.28. This concept of honoring your wife is also found in Ephesians 5, where Paul says husbands ought to love their wives as they do themselves. As Paul says, quote, no one ever hated his own flesh but cherishes it, end of quote. The passage clearly says that as a husband cherishes his own flesh, he is to cherish his wife in the same way, verses 28 and 29. A wife longs to be that special person Paul describes. She wants to be cherished as a princess, not revered as a queen. She longs to be first in importance to him. It is as though she is the princess and he is the prince. In Ephesians 5.33, a husband has a need to be respected as the head, the one called upon to die. Quote, Christ is the head, and loved the church, and gave himself up for her. End of quote. Ephesians 5.23 and 25. The prince goes into battle for the princess, not vice versa. Consequently, the princess does not seek to be respected as the head. Instead, she yearns to be honored, valued, and prized as a precious equal, quote, a fellow heir of the grace of life, end of quote, as Peter unfolds in 1 Peter 3, 7. To carry further the word picture of the prince and princess, I believe the biblical order of things is that as prince, the husband is to be considered first among equals. By that I mean... He is her equal, and he is called upon to be the first to provide, to protect, and even die if necessary. This is graphically illustrated on any sinking ship as lifeboats are put over the side. The cry is always, women and children first. It's not an accident that in every culture, as a rule, men are bigger and stronger than women. Is this not God's visual aid concerning his purpose for men? When Nehemiah the prophet led his men in rebuilding the wall and fighting off the enemy, he urged them, quote, to fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives, end of quote, Nehemiah 4.14. Something in a man longs for his wife to look up to him as he fulfills this role. And when she does, it motivates him, not because he's arrogant, but because of how God has constructed him. Few husbands walk around claiming, I'm first among equals. The husband with good will and good sense knows this isn't his right, but it is his responsibility. She, on the other hand, possesses something within that thirsts to be valued as first in importance. Nothing energizes her more. She's not self-centered. God placed this in her by nature. When he honors her as first in importance, and she respects him as first among equals, 
their marriage works, and when he expects her to look up to him, yet puts her down, he deflates her. When he feels she is trying to be a bossy queen, he cannot detect her real heart. When she expects him to protect her, but then accuses him of being paternalistic or too fatherly or condescending, she deflates him. When she feels he's trying to be more than equal or greater, she cannot detect his real heart. Husbands, do not say, I told you so. A word of caution must be given to husbands at this point. For many wives, hearing that the Bible teaches women to give unconditional respect to their husbands is a huge piece of information. It is often something wives may never have heard before in any form. A wise husband will not use this information as a weapon. Instead, he will be humble. He will let his wife process what she has learned and then let her act upon it. When she does, miracles can happen. In many cases, couples report that the crazy cycle grinds to a screeching halt, and more often than not, this change is triggered by the wife as she tries to give her husband unconditional respect. As a wife gets used to the idea of respecting her husband, she likes doing it, and of course, her husband is pleased also, after he gets over the shock. But most important, the husband is triggered to give his wife unconditional love. The lose-lose situation turns into a win-win. But I've encountered many women for whom the words unconditional respect are a red flag. They have been bombarded for so long by the wrong interpretation of biblical submission that they are suspicious and even hostile toward the whole idea. It'll never work. It's a man's world. Unconditionally respecting men will just give them more power to grind us down. I understand these concerns. But I respond that husbands who have goodwill toward their wives are not looking for ways to have power and superiority over them. On the contrary, many husbands don't feel that powerful at all. Deep down, they have a basic fear that can keep the crazy cycle spinning. As the next section will show, wives have far more power to change their marriage than many ever imagined. What men fear most can keep the crazy cycle spinning. I mentioned that many husbands interpret criticism as contempt, and contempt is something men do not handle well. Wives must grasp that their husbands aren't half as big and strong and impervious to being hurt as they might seem. A woman may envision herself as a sweet little dewdrop, and her man as a big strong bear who should be able to absorb any kind of punishment. One huge fellow was stunned by his beloved's attack and said to her, You hate me! Frustrated, she replied, When I scream, I hate you, you should know I don't mean it. You are six foot nine and weigh 260 pounds, for goodness sake. I do that because you can take it. The truth is, however, a lot of men can't take it. No matter how big they may be physically, emotionally they are vulnerable to what sounds like contempt. The male fear of contempt is dramatized in the first chapter of Esther. What was the fear? that wives would start to despise their husbands and defy them. The result? There would be no end to the contempt and anger poured out by wives on their husbands throughout the king's realm. See Esther, the first chapter, verse 18. Now, this is not to justify the male fear of contempt in the book of Esther or anywhere else. But as women fear being unloved, men fear being disrespected or held in contempt. The yearning and need of husbands is that their wives give them honor and respect. Conflict makes most men feel disrespected. When Decision Analyst Incorporated did a national survey on male and female relationships, I had the opportunity to contribute a question that was asked of a large representative sampling of men. 
The question read, Even the best relationships sometimes have conflicts on day-to-day issues. In the middle of a conflict with my wife or significant other, I am more likely to be feeling, A, that my wife or significant other doesn't respect me right now, B, that my wife or significant other doesn't love me right now. Not surprisingly, 81.5% chose, A, that my wife doesn't respect me right now. The survey substantiated what I had already discovered in my years of working with married couples. Men need to feel respected during conflict more than they need to feel loved. This does not mean men do not need love. As I already mentioned, men know deep down their wives love them, but they are not at all sure that their wives respect them. Perhaps that's why they favored answer A over answer B by such a great majority. Whatever the reason, during marital conflict, it is clear that men place a higher value on feeling respected than on feeling loved. Many women cannot imagine this because they are still tuned in to the love wavelength. Practically every woman I have met or counseled would be willing to say, I just want somebody to love me, to make me special, to to make me the most important one in his life. Now, no one seizes on these words and accuses women of being prima donnas or egomaniacs. Yet when a man says he needs to be respected, he is often labeled, especially in our culture, as arrogant. But it's amazing what happens when a woman gives a man respect and admiration. Just go back to your days of courting. During courtships, the woman may have thought that her man was motivated to ask her to marry him because of her love. After all, love is what motivated her. In fact, her love was huge. There is no question about that. But more than she ever realized... It was her unique and intimate admiration that won her man's heart. The old saying puts it, Every man does what he does for the admiration of one woman. Back in courtship days, she became that woman, and he bowed the knee and proposed. He felt deep feelings of love for her. But they came out of his being convinced that she respected him and admired him for who he was. She was striking a chord deep within him, that literally drove his life then as it drives his life today. I believe that men hold respect and honor as almost equal values. My experience as a man and with other men tells me that in our arena we have an honor code, and if we don't live by that honor code, we're in big trouble. We've learned from boyhood that there are certain things you just don't do, certain things you just don't say. A woman will talk to a husband in the home in the way that a man would never talk to him, He can't believe that she can be so belligerent, so disrespectful. The husband will often look away, wanting to drop the argument and move on. He doesn't want to talk about it. Why? Because he feels engulfed and overpowered by his wife's dark countenance, negative emotions, and combative words. All this annoys and incites him. So he withdraws. To him, that is the honorable thing to do. Are you a criticizer or a stonewaller? According to John Gottman's extensive research, 85% of husbands eventually stonewall their wives during conflict. For a man, tension builds faster because his blood pressure and heart rate rise much higher and stay elevated much longer than his wife's. During tense exchanges, a wife's negative criticism can overwhelm the husband and his little appetite to deal with it. The wife sees such exchanges as potentially increasing love between them, and her heartbeats per minute, BPM, do not escalate. The husband, on the other hand, sees the exchange as an argument in which he is apt to lose respect, 
and this revs up his BPMs. In an attempt to calm himself down, the husband will stonewall, become quiet, say nothing, or go off by himself. If asked why he is stonewalled, the husband will say something like, I'm, 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 I'm trying not to react. I'm just trying to calm myself down. The wife may see her husband's stonewalling as unloving, but he doesn't. He is simply trying to do the honorable and respectable thing, but his wife thinks he's rejecting her. How could he possibly want to withdraw and stonewall her when all she has done is given him a minor criticism or two? Gottman states, quote, Such interactions can produce a vicious cycle, especially in marriage with high levels of conflict. The more wives complain and criticize, the more husbands withdraw and stonewall. The more husbands withdraw and stonewall, the more wives complain and criticize, end of quote. Gottman adds that if a wife becomes belligerent and contemptuous, the marriage is in serious danger. If this cycle isn't broken, it will probably end in divorce. How Women Deal with Conflict Between Themselves My experience in counseling hundreds of marriages over the years confirms that husbands are indeed masterful stonewallers as a rule. Their wives, of course, are usually the ones who are the criticizers, the confronters, the ones who want to get things out on the table and get them settled. There are wives who stonewall at times, but in my experience, they are in the minority. My view is that when a wife does stonewall, she does so because she has lost confidence that her husband will hear her heart. She longs to connect, but has given up hope. While his heart rate may be going through the roof, hers is slow and steady because her heart is broken. In the majority of cases, a wife who is in love with her husband will move toward him when she feels unloved. For example, it's the first year of marriage and he's been late to dinner two nights in a row without calling. She says to herself, this is wrong. How can he be so insensitive? A am I last on his priority list? This is so unloving. Instinctively, she proceeds to say what she believes is the loving thing when he comes through the door. We need to talk. Uh, we need to talk right now. Uh, please sit down and talk to me. In approaching her husband in this fashion, the wife is using the same approach she would use with a best girlfriend. When women have conflicts with each other, they both usually verbalize their feelings. They share what is on their hearts because instinctively they know it will eventually lead to reconciliation. At some point, one of them will say, Well, I was wrong. Then the other will say, No, I, I was wrong too. Will you forgive me? And the other will say, Yes, of course, I'll forgive you. But, you know, I'm really sorry. Then they hug, shed a few tears, and pretty soon they're laughing. That's what I call bringing things full circle. Unfortunately, women think this approach will work with their husbands just as well as it does with their best girlfriends. When a problem arises and something feels unloving, the wife instinctively moves toward her husband to share her feelings. Her eventual goal is that both of them will apologize and then embrace. This is the way she keeps her marriage up to date, a high value for her. Her heart longs to resolve things and to reconcile. Her husband matters to her more than any other adult on earth. In truth, her confrontation is a compliment. She thinks, oh, that he could see my heart. Why does he close himself off from me? What a wife usually fails to see is that a big difference exists between her best girlfriend and her husband. A wife will be more judgmental toward her husband than toward her best girlfriend. She feels free to do this because, as his loving helpmate, part of her mission, in her mind, is to help change him into a loving man. She knows that if she can just get her criticism out on the table, he can change. And if he'll change to be a bit more loving, she knows she will outlove him. 
A wife's self-image may depend on her husband's approval. The typical wife also fails to realize that her self-image often rests on what she believes her husband thinks of her. This is not the case with a girlfriend. Her girlfriend's opinion of her is important, but not as vital as her husband's opinion. Also, the marriage relationship, unlike her relationship to a girlfriend, is a topic of ongoing discussion between her and other women. Women want to report to each other how wonderful their marriages are. So wife's negativity can intensify when her husband stonewalls her efforts to get him to change. He isn't making her feel good, and she can't report to her friends the joys of her marriage. If her negativity intensifies, she is in danger of becoming even more belligerent and contemptuous, and then her husband will close her off completely. Proverbs 21.19 says, It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. The sad irony is that a wife can become contentious and vexing because her husband misinterprets her. He doesn't decipher the code in which she cries, I need your love. Instead, he hears, I don't respect you. This sweet, tender, godly woman is misunderstood. When she gets too negative, she does herself and her marriage no favors. Thankfully, some women are becoming aware that negative confrontation doesn't work. As one wife said, My strength and verbal skills aren't helping my marriage. I have come across to my husband as too strong and too controlling and too demanding and too critical. I have been his mommy and his teacher and his Holy Spirit. It's my own personal nature to lead and direct and control and fix and do right and make others do the same. He is scared of my tongue. A wife's scolding can start the crazy cycle. When a man begins to feel that his wife no longer looks up to him but is looking down at him, the crazy cycle kicks in. The crazy cycle often starts when women start scolding in their homes. The word scold is often associated with mothers bawling out their children. The dictionary definition, however, says that scolding means to reprimand or criticize harshly, and usually angrily and even openly. When a wife comes at a husband with repeated reprimands and scolding, this is a surefire way not only to annoy him, but to treat him with disrespect. Wives, however, tend not to see this. When a wife scolds her husband, she's only trying to help correct things, to keep things on an even keel. And there's no doubt at times men need this kind of help. But when a man begins to feel that what his wife is saying reduces him to a child being scolded, there can be trouble. He doesn't necessarily see his wife's heart. He only hears her words, which are saying that she's looking down on him. To paraphrase Proverbs, he would rather live in the wilderness than with this irritating woman. While many wives do not intend to be disrespectful, they appear that way to their husbands, and their husbands take refuge in stonewalling them. I've asked any number of businessmen, do you want your associates to love you or respect you? They all laugh and say, I, I could care less if they love me, but respect me? Absolutely. Right or wrong, men interpret their world through the respect grid, and a wife's softened tone and facial expressions can do more for her marriage than she can imagine. Sarah was talking to a wife about controlling her verbal venom toward her husband. The wife was showing disdain for him, which Sarah knew was not wise. But her husband did things that made her so angry. In her view, the problem was strictly with him. He didn't clean up the kitchen right. He didn't put the dishes in the dishwasher correctly, and he didn't pick up after himself the way she expected. So she had turned sour and negative. 
The wife heard what Sarah was trying to say, but she felt overcome by her anger and hurt. So Sarah asked this wife a question she asked many women who arrive at our conferences full of contempt for their husbands. What if your son grew up and married someone like you? The woman's mouth fell open. She was stunned. For the first time, she saw it. She would never want any woman to treat her son the way she was treating her husband. She realized that when her son became a husband, if his wife treated him with such anger and contempt, his spirit would be crushed and he would shut down in defeat. When she heard it put this way, a completely new view surfaced. She saw herself more clearly than ever before, and she vowed to change. It is high time for women to start discovering how their husbands really feel. One wife was shocked when she asked her husband, Do you want me to tell you that I love you or that I respect you? Without hesitation, he replied, Respect. She couldn't believe her ears. She had never realized that though he needed her love, what he lacked was assurance of her respect. Learning this is hard on many a wife, and I am sorry that they have to feel everything from amazement to shame. No one is trying to shame wives. On the contrary, our love and respect message is designed to help wives see that their big, powerful husbands are really in need of something that wives can give. Respect. When a husband receives unconditional respect from his wife, those fond feelings of affection and love will return, and he will start giving her the kind of love she has always hoped to receive. So that's it. I need respect. One thing that may stop a man from voicing his need for respect is hearing from his wife, You don't deserve my respect. With his vocabulary rejected as archaic and his attitude criticized as arrogant, it doesn't take long for a male to file away his essential need for respect in a compartment labeled, Do Not Bring Up. And there it will stay. But if another woman admires him, then look out as one wife shared after her husband strayed into an affair. I realized that my husband had cheated with this woman, not because of her looks or her personality or because she was anything so great, but rather because she was his captive audience. She thought he hung the moon. Every remark he made to her was witty. Everything he did was perfect. In her eyes, he was the most handsome, intelligent, funny man in the world. He needed an ego boost, and she was ready and willing to be that for him. Are love and respect the same thing? There are many wives who tell me, Respect and love are the same thing. I respond, No, they aren't, and you know they aren't. For instance, you respect your boss. You don't love your boss. I've been in counseling sessions with couples, and with her mate sitting there listening, the wife will readily say, I love my husband, but don't feel any respect for him. But when I turn this around and ask the wives how they would feel if they would hear their husband say, I respect you, but I don't love you. They are horrified. They exclaimed, I would be devastated. I asked one wife, how long would it take you to get over that? She quickly answered, forever. The typical wife would be up in arms if she heard, I respect you, but don't love you. That is taboo. She would view her husband as a very unloving human being. Yet this same wife feels she can readily say to him, I love you but don't respect you. What she doesn't understand is that her husband is equally devastated by her comment and it also takes him forever to get over it. The bottom line is that husbands and wives have needs that are truly equal. She needs unconditional love and he needs unconditional respect. All this should be obvious, right? 
We easily see what is being done to us before we see what we are doing to our mate. When sorting out how to slow down the crazy cycle, it helps to remember that men are commanded to love because they don't love naturally. And on the other side, women are commanded to respect because they don't respect naturally. If the love and respect connection is to make sense and work in a marriage, the wife in particular must conquer any feelings about her husband needing to earn her respect. I've counseled many wives who love to love, but they do not love to respect. When these women feel unloved, often they will try to improve the situation with even more love. That's natural. But when these women feel unloved, it is hard for them to show respect. That's unnatural. They act disrespectfully, but they don't really want to. They are merely reacting to their built-in feelings. Not realizing how contemptuous she sounds, a wife might say, he's blowing this respect thing out of proportion. He's too sensitive. My scolding and sour looks stay. That's who I am at times, and he needs to get over it. This is his problem. But, of course, it isn't his problem. It's their problem. How would this wife feel if her husband would say, you're blowing this love thing out of proportion. You're just too sensitive. You're always telling me I'm too harsh. You need to get over it. Married couples are at a crossroads. Today, married couples are at a crossroads. Will she appreciate her husband's need for respect, or will she denounce his feelings? Will she discover that the best way to love a husband is by respecting him in ways that are meaningful to him? Or will she focus totally on what she feels is the key to a happy marriage, her womanly feelings, and dismiss his needs as antiquated or male arrogance? At the same time, will the husband appreciate his wife's need for love, or just continue to ignore her feelings? Will he discover the best way to love a wife is to look beyond her criticisms and complaints to see why she isn't feeling loved? Or will he just cower before her apparent contempt and retreat to the shelter of his stone wall? Increasing numbers of couples who are at the crossroads are taking the right fork, the one labeled love and respect. One wife, a strong-minded career woman, wrote to tell us of how she and her husband were using the love and respect connection concepts and that their crazy cycle is slowing down and has all but stopped. She wrote, My husband was able to see that when he would withdraw, often because I was disrespectful, I would feel abandoned or unloved. So I would go after him with a vengeance that would make a warrior cower, which would disrespect him and hurt him deeply, causing him to withdraw even more severely, the whole crazy cycle. But he, for the first time, was willing to see that he had acted unlovingly, he was able to own some part of it. I think he was able to see that I was more delicate, even though I try really hard to sell my strength to everyone, including him, and that I do need him and want his support and strength. I asked him to forgive me for being so disrespectful. We have been talking and things have been gradually changing. Mutual understanding is setting in. She fears being a doormat. He's tired of just not getting it. I have counseled many wives who want to try the unconditional respect approach, but they are still not totally convinced that it will work. That old, the rat needs to earn my respect attitude dies hard. And I have counseled many husbands who truly want to be loving men. They are willing to try, but are wary of looking like unloving fools again. But before we start, there is one critical question for husband and wife to consider. As we think about stopping the crazy cycle, who makes the first move? 
As a wife, whatever you do, don't say, Emerson is right, I need your love, so start loving me and I'll show you respect. That simply won't work, because that attitude is in itself disrespectful. And it triggers an unloving reaction. You are making your husband responsible for both the love and respect in the marriage. He will simply shut down. On the other side, as a husband, never say, Emerson is right. If you respect me, all will be well, and I will be more loving. That won't work either, because that attitude is in itself unloving, and it triggers a disrespectful reaction. You're making your wife responsible for both the love and the respect in the marriage. She will simply shut down. So, who should make the first move? In our marriage conference, as I explained that I prayed about this, and here is the answer I believe God gave me. The one who sees himself or herself as the most mature. You see, you can't wait for your spouse to go first, even though it's preferable. All of us want our spouse to be the first to start doing the respecting or the loving. But can you afford to wait passively for this to happen, like some kind of neutral bystander? Can a husband wait for his wife to respect him before he becomes more loving? Can a wife wait for a husband to really love her so she will then show him respect? The fear, of course, is that you will show love or respect to your spouse, as the case may be, and get a bad response. So you tend to pull back, waiting for the other person to move first. But what are your options? Holding back your love or respect will just keep the crazy cycle spinning away. But being mature and making the first move could slow it down. Think about it this way. It is absolutely ineffective for a husband to shout, I'm not going to love that woman until she starts respecting me. It is pointless for a wife to scream, I'm not respecting him until he starts loving me. Taking the role of the mature mate and moving first may be risky, but it is very powerful. Rarely can you lose. Not a doormat, but a woman with power. As I encourage some wives to use unconditional respect, I can tell they suspect that I am a chauvinist in sheep's clothing trying to set them up for a life of subservience. I remind such a wife to be patient. I'm trying to help her to get her husband to love her more, not run roughshod over her. Now, when I talk about respecting your husband, I get some interesting responses. Women are loving, good-hearted. They're not mean. They're innocent. I, they're so godly. And, but they'll say to me, you know, but 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 I don't feel any respect for him, and 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 he's certainly not superior to me, and I'm not inferior to him, and he might treat me in a subservient way. He certainly hasn't earned the respect. He he, he doesn't deserve the respect. He might even kind of kill me emotionally. But other than that, I'm really open to hearing what you have to say. So there are a few obstacles that are presented when I address this issue. Despite my assurances, some wives fear that taking a respectful attitude during a conflict with their husbands will render them powerless. These women do not believe a husband will change into a loving man unless he is awakened to his flaws, and the only way he will awaken to his inadequacies and faults is to hear his wife's grumblings, corrections, and contempt. One wife confessed, I would listen in on phone conversations or conversations in a group of people to correct any misstatements he might make. Another wife admitted, mothering her husband. As mothers, it is built into us to be instructors. That's a major part of motherhood. But it is extremely difficult to differentiate our roles between mother and wife. For instance, when baby comes along, dad seems to be at a loss as to what to do, and we instruct dad. Over time, we start instructing in many areas. The typical wife knows instinctively that correcting and mothering her husband are not good ways to approach him. 
but what else can she do? If she keeps winning battles this way, it could help her win the war of changing him into the kind of man she feels he ought to be. She keeps on using negativity because she feels empowered by it. She thinks it gets through to him. She knows being nice doesn't get through to him because he just seems to ignore that. Her disrespect gets his attention, and she seems to win the skirmishes, which are usually about the same problems, him being late and working too much, his poor parenting, his insensitivity. But none of these problems is the root of the issue. Lack of love and respect is at the heart of it all. As Dr. John Gottman observes, quote, the major goal is to break the cycle of negativity, end of quote. One wife confessed, most people would label me one of the happiest, most positive people I know. But then something happens behind closed doors. I can yell and scream and rant on about little issues forever. Unfortunately, the wife who feels empowered by negativity isn't even aware she needs to break that cycle. But she may sense that her criticisms don't motivate him to be more loving, so she tries to apologize after an argument or a conflict. He may accept her apology because he knows she's a good-willed woman who feels badly. But as the crazy cycle spins again the next month or next week and then continues in a distinct pattern, he begins to believe that she has contempt for who he is as a human being, that she secretly despises him. Because he is confused, he doesn't ask the question, don't you respect me? For fear she'll say, no, I don't. That frightens him, so he avoids it. As a result, she gets locked into disrespect as a way of communicating her irritation and goading him to change. But over the course of the marriage, something slowly dies between them. She wins the battles. But deep down, she knows she is losing the war. What if you're afraid to take the risk? If a wife can trust her husband's basic goodwill and his good intentions, even though he may be acting unloving at times, she can turn her marriage around, as the following reports testify. One woman wrote to admit she was sad because she had been married 22 years and was just starting to understand the love and respect message. She said, I'm nearly in shock at the changes in my husband in the last several days. To give you some background, we had a major fight last January and round two came in May. That was when he told me he didn't know how he felt about me and didn't know what our future was together. Talk about a crazy cycle. We had jumped on and were running to our death. The thing that struck me was your comment that a man can feel the loss of respect so deeply but not be able to give voice or vocabulary to what is wrong. As a man who is not given to voicing his emotions much on a good day, I believe this is how my husband was affected. He was able to tell me I had pushed him too hard, but I didn't understand what button I had pushed. As a result, a lot of my efforts to reach out over the last six months backfired. So on New Year's Eve, I left a card in his lunchbox, nothing mushy, just a you-give-me-many-reasons-to-smile message, to which I added, and many things about you I respect. Then I said thanks for Christmas and Happy New Year. The next day he got up from the table and brought a chair for me. This last Sunday he suggested going to a movie in the evening, sat and talked before the movie started, proposed going to a musical in town next week. In general... He has been much more open and communicative. While it would be simplistic and untrue to say all of our problems are magically solved, there is a bridge between us that did not exist a week ago. I have yet to hear the L word for love from his lips, but his actions are such that I know it still exists in his heart, and I intend, with God's help, to fan that flame as much as possible. 
Following are comments from women who have also discovered the power of respecting their husbands. I didn't know something from God could be so easy. I have believed in God my whole life, but I was not taught this before. But it does make so much sense. If you respect your husband, he will love you. It may not always be in the ways I love him, but he does in his own special way. I thank God every day for letting me learn this. Husbands, remember only one idea, love. In the last few years, I've counseled with not a few men who say they are tired of hearing the relentless mantra, You men just don't get it. You're stupid. They admit they don't grasp certain things. But being labeled Neanderthal and caveman is demeaning and discouraging. If the cave existed, these men would favor going there to hide. They would agree with the biblical proverbs that say it is better for a disrespected man to live in a corner of the roof or in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. See Proverbs 21, verses 19 and 19. As one husband plaintively but aptly put it, I have spent the last 20 years literally consumed with trying to figure out what is going on in our marriage. I sympathize with these husbands because there were plenty of times in the last 30 years when I felt the same way. But I want to remind all husbands that their wives are basically good-willed women. They are only acting critical, contentious, and disrespectful because they are crying out for love. The honorable husband who is man enough to try to turn things around must learn how to respond when he's feeling disrespected and offended. He must learn what to do in the face of his wife's negative reactions and accusations that he is unloving. The good news is that the husband need only focus on two questions. First, he must ask, Is my wife coming across to me disrespectfully because she is feeling unloved? Good things are in store when he learns to decode his wife's deepest cry, Please love me. To do this decoding, a husband must ask himself what his wife has against him, why she feels rejected and even abandoned. The husband may or may not completely decode the wife's message, but the point is he will be trying to understand her, not attack her back. Second, a husband must ask, will what I say or do next come across as loving or unloving to my wife? This husband decoded in jail. One husband learned how to decode his wife the hard way, Here's how he described his epiphany experience. On a Saturday evening, I threw a dish in anger that hit my wife in the face and left a small cut. She called the police, and I was handcuffed and taken off to jail. A magistrate thought it best for me to sit out the weekend there and held me over on a lot of bond. I wouldn't pay it. And after about four hours on a steel cot, the novelty wore off, and I really started to think hard about why I was there. With nothing to read, no place to go, not able to sleep anymore, I basically paced and prayed for two days. One single scripture stayed in my mind the whole time. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. For two days, God replayed the memories I had of our arguments, and each one I was acutely aware of how I'd failed to love my wife. It was like pausing a video and having someone point to it and say, See, right here you could have reached out to her and reassured her but you were too busy trying to prove your point. At one point I was seeing her face, all distorted with rage as she screamed at me, but totally without any sound. The mute button had been pushed on this memory, and then, little by little, the sound came up so I could hear it. Only, the words were not what my wife had been screaming at me. Instead, they were replaced with other words that I needed to hear. I want you to love me. Why won't you love me? 
I'm afraid and insecure, and I, I need you to hold me and love me. And that's when I began to weep. All this time I had been so totally wrapped up in my own needs, to demand respect, to be right at any cost, to win a petty argument. This hurt our priceless relationship. I'd been so caught up in the words that I had totally missed her heart, her need. This was my epiphany, and this is why Scripture commands me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. In my conversations with men since then, I have seen the color drain from their faces as I tell them about my experience, and I see the dawning of their own awareness as they realize how they have blown it too. We need this command. Not many of us know just how badly. Anyway, God sat me down for two days in jail, took away all the distractions, and forced me to look at myself in a way I'd never done before. By the end of it, I had been totally emotionally ruined and rebuilt, and I could hardly wait to get home and share with my wife what God had shown me. My last evening in my cell, I was freer than I had ever been. I knew the Lord had spoken to me, and I knew I was going to do something about it, first in my own marriage, and then in others, if the Lord allowed. Although the husband and his wife reconciled, the court ordered him to attend domestic violence counseling, which he was happy to do. He waited over a year after his experience to validate the changes in his life, and then, with the blessing of his pastor, he began to invite other men to discuss the topic of marriage with him. Now he and his wife meet with couples who come to them with domestic issues like the ones they had. He adds, I'll forever be grieved at what I did to my wife, and forever grateful for what God has done for our marriage since. There are many reasons I like this man's story, but perhaps best of all is that the wife was the one who first contacted me when she ordered our resources to learn more about unconditionally respecting her husband. In her email request, she said absolutely nothing about the abusive incident. She only wrote that she was, quote, mightily convicted about my need for learning this vital aspect of my wifely role. My husband has a men's Bible study where, naturally, the focus is on loving and leading your wife God's way. There is a dearth of material on the other important aspect of a godly marriage, namely wives and respect. Lots on submission, but not much on respect. My husband and I have been married very badly and without God, and we are committed to making our relationship one that honors and glorifies His presence and grace in our lives. End of quote. There was not one hint of how she took a dish in the face, and how he had gone to jail. I was curious about the kind of Bible study her husband was conducting, so I emailed him and asked him to explain what he was doing and why. That's when he told me the whole story about hitting his wife, going to jail, and figuring things out as he paced up and down in his cell. What a woman! What a man! He had changed so much that she yearned to do her part, and now they worked together to help other marriages. As we saw, a key to decoding one another's messages is to be aware of her pink sunglasses and hearing aids and his blue ones. But both spouses can adjust their lenses if they want to try. As another husband wrote to tell me, I believe that the Holy Spirit is revealing my inability to decode. That's a polite way of saying that the Lord hit me between the eyes with a two-by-four. I see only through my own lens and fail to see through hers. I fail to get behind her eyes. The crazy cycle can be slowed. In fact, it can be stopped. If only we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. She worries about being a hypocrite. He complains, I get no respect. 
She had been married for 38 years, and it hadn't been easy. Her husband had served in reconnaissance with the U.S. Marines in Vietnam and had returned with post-traumatic stress disorder. For years following the war, he dealt with his memories by being an overachiever, and he became very successful. Although a Christian, he eventually got into an affair and became an alcoholic, ruining his health. Her letter to me said, He is unable to work. He is away from the Lord. For years I have been stuck on the commands for wives to respect their husbands. If the Lord said it, I believe it's true, but I did not want to be a hypocrite. Many wives find themselves in similar situations, and they often tell me that, while they want to be respectful and obedient to the Lord, they don't want to be hypocritical, going through motions that don't mean anything. Gently but firmly, I respond that I'm not asking wives to be hypocrites by respecting their husbands, even if they don't feel respectful. This really isn't about feelings. It's about how wives can help control the crazy cycle by doing what the scriptures teach. Peter calls wives to respectful and chaste behavior in order to win husbands who are being disobedient to God's word. Again, 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. Obviously, wives can go on winning the battles by attacking, criticizing, or lecturing husbands who are drinking, strain, or whatever their problems may be, but they will eventually lose the war. When a man is harsh, uncaring, or unaware, the wife can say he is unloving and needs to change, that he needs to correct himself. And I agree, completely. Obviously, the man needs to understand her womanliness and her need for love. If her spirit deflates and she becomes grieved, he is called to be a man of honor and serve her needs. But here is the rub. Such a man may be called, but he won't necessarily answer. At this point, a wife faces two basic choices. She can try to make personal adjustments and treat her husband respectfully according to what Scripture says, or she can continue with a sour look and a negative, disrespectful attitude. She can continue to contend, If he feels disrespected, that's his problem. How can I feel respect for him when he is so unaware of me and my feelings? That would be hypocritical. I understand why a wife could feel hypocritical about respecting a man who has been treating her badly. But to continue with disrespect only means shooting herself in both feet. Few wives have real malice in their hearts, but their negative emotions can get the better of them. The deepest yearning of their hearts for love is clouded by negativity. Not only do husbands feel they can never fulfill a wife's expectation of love, but now they feel disrespected for who they are. The typical man cannot put a voice to this, but he feels responsible to meet his wife's need for love and somehow try to meet his own need for respect. This kind of man shuts down in the face of it all. It is simply too overwhelming. Does the disrespected husband let his wife know how he feels? No. As a rule, a man doesn't complain and he doesn't cry. He simply grits his teeth and compartmentalizes his feelings. He may be dying inside, but he won't tell his wife for fear she'll say, You don't deserve my respect. So he grows silent. He withdraws, possibly walks away in anger. She has won another battle, but feels even more unloved. She feels caught. She doesn't feel any love coming from him, so showing respect for him seems phony. Besides, if she shows respect, she feels he will get his way. I asked one woman, Are you afraid that your respectful manner will lessen your chances of motivating your husband to change? Here is her response. After pondering that, I've concluded that this is where the rubber hits the road. If I trust my feelings, or my previous experiences where contempt has seemed effective, I will be afraid to do it differently. If I step out in faith, claiming God's word as the basis for my action, 
then I am trusting God to bring to pass what he said he would do. I can't go wrong with that. I've determined that is the path I'm going to take, no matter how unfamiliar it seems. Amen, I say. This wife gets it. Obeying God's word does not make a wife a powerless hypocrite. Actually, it makes her a woman who loves and reverences God. This can happen even in the most difficult situations. The lady whose letter opened this section put aside her fears of being a hypocrite and tried to be respectful to her husband. Her letter continues, I am asking the Lord to show me ways to show my husband genuine respect. I've definitely seen a difference in his attitude toward me. I believe that more good things will come as I continue to show him unconditional respect, and after all, the Lord is responsible for the outcome. I have only to be obedient to God, and God will handle what concerns me. Showing respectful behavior when we don't feel respectful is evidence of maturity, not hypocrisy. Refuse to play Rodney Dangerfield. Don't stonewall. To the husband who may sense that his wife thinks being respectful to him is hypocritical, my advice is this. Do not give up. And do not go into your well-worn Rodney Dangerfield mantra, I get no respect. Instead, be a man of honor and move toward your wife even if you are receiving what feels like verbal death blows. Call in that same sense of male honor that makes men willing to take a hit for their buddies in combat. Be willing to take a hit from your wife. You won't die, although at times death may seem preferable. You can be the mature one who makes the first move toward your wife, even though she has seriously wronged you. As you engage her, you can take the verbal death blows to stop the craziness. Yes, it will be hard and even humiliating, but you can win the heart of your wife. Scripture says, A fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. Proverbs 12.16 Suppose your wife is being horribly disrespectful. There's no question that you have the right to be offended, but as a man of wisdom, you choose to conceal the dishonor. You hear God calling you to take a different approach, and you can do it. If you keep saying that you can't, then you will persuade yourself this is impossible. You must distinguish between I can't and I won't. I used to say, I'll show her. In my own marriage, there was a season when it was important to me to get in tune with why I reacted to Sarah. As this notion of unconditional respect surfaced in my soul, I still felt embarrassed to say directly to her, I feel disrespected. That appeared to me to be self-centered and admittedly, I was uncertain of Sarah's reply. Would she snap, Well, you don't deserve my respect. I don't recall her ever saying that, but I distinctly recall thinking it would be dangerous to express feelings of being disrespected. It was much easier for me to send my message indirectly in code by getting angry or going silent. In my anger, I was thinking, She can't treat me this way. I'll show her. So I withdrew. Strangely, that never seemed to work. <laughs> I didn't realize it at the time, but because I wanted respect, I was trying to motivate her to be respectful by me being unloving. Sort of like trying to urge her to be more watchful by poking her in the eye with a sharp stick. There came a time, however, when I knew I had to be clear. I had to grow up and be more mature. But how could I respond to Sarah so she could get my real message? As a man of honor, I needed to introduce some kind of change. The phrase I came up with was, Honey, that felt disrespectful. Did I just now come across as unloving? I did not say, Sarah, you are a disrespectful black widow spider using your venom to devour me. Personal attacks never ever work with anybody. 
The phrase, that felt disrespectful, removed the personal attack. I was not saying she was a disrespectful person. I was only describing what I felt. My new approach allowed me to express my feelings without claiming Sarah was wrong and I was right. I could say to Sarah, I'm not saying I'm right for feeling this way, nor am I saying you caused me to feel this way. I'm only saying that I feel this way. I was not necessarily confessing these feelings were sinful, nor was I saying Sarah was an angel. The line, honey, that felt disrespectful, has many possible applications. Sometimes I needed to grow up and not personalize things Sarah did or said as disrespect. On other occasions, Sarah needed to be a little more positive about the man she married. But the icing on the cake is when I would add, did I just come across as unloving? This gave Sarah the benefit of the doubt, and often she returned the favor. Too many times in the past I'd put her on the defensive. Countless times Sarah had said in defeat, It's always me. I'm always to blame. You are always right. You never do wrong. My new approach gave Sarah a break. I didn't say I was always right and could never do wrong. I owned up to my own part of the blame. And for her, this was a breath of fresh air. Sarah quickly decided she loved hearing me say, Honey, that felt disrespectful. Did I just now come across as unloving? Granted, these two sentences can feel a bit awkward the first time or two you use them. They are forcing you to be transparent and even to lead with your chin in some respects. But if a couple wishes to address the deepest issues when conflicts arise, this gets to it very quickly. If a couple wants to get off the crazy cycle, this speeds up the process. It certainly has for us. True, there is a risk that Sarah might say, Well, yes, I felt unloved, because you are unloving, and you don't deserve respect. For most couples, that never happens. The power of these simple love and respect sentences is that both spouses feel affirmed at the level of deepest need. What usually happens is this. Sarah says, yes, I felt unloved, and I'm sorry for coming across so disrespectfully. Will you forgive me? I reply, yes, will you forgive me for coming across as unloving? She answers, of course, and it's over. Just that quickly. It works even on our bad days. Having said that, on any given day, Sarah and I can get nasty with each other. We can get stubborn and bowed. We can even raise our voices. I can give an evil glare. I can shut down, refusing to talk. Sarah can stomp out of the room. We step on each other's air hose, sometimes with gusto. But no matter what happens, we both have a firm commitment that we will get to our love and respect sentences before we go to bed. If I'm feeling disrespected, I tell her so, and then ask if I've been unloving. If she's feeling unloved, she tells me so and asks if she's been disrespectful. The biblical teaching is, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Ephesians 4.26 This works, and it works well. The struggle is in humbling yourself, authentically making these two brief statements, and then letting them lead to an honest discussion. If you don't want to see positive change in your marriage, you won't go there. But for me as a man, talking about feeling disrespected is in keeping with who I am. The love and respect message provides me an incentive to go there. And when I say to Sarah, did I come across as unloving, she is invigorated to engage me in response. It works. My suggestion to fellow husbands is, instead of running from your wife, will you move toward her or let her move toward you, firing her venomous little darts as she comes? If you're ready to take the hit, you can stop the craziness. After she vents, you can lovingly say, Honey, I love you, 
I don't want this. When you talk this way, I know you're feeling unloved. Let's work on this. I want to come across more lovingly, and I hope you would like to come across more respectfully. The Husband Who Never Stopped Loving One of the most striking examples of a husband who never stopped engaging his wife, even as she tried to deal their marriage a death blow, came to me in an email written by the wife after she and her husband had traveled 600 miles to attend one of our conferences. When they arrived at the conference, their marriage was held together by a tattered thread. They both agreed it was the best conference they had ever attended, but they went back home with the wife still feeling very negative about the marriage. She was still tired of her life and her husband, but her husband wouldn't give up, and the rest of her email tells the story. We are still together today because for the past few months he has done exactly what you talked about at your conference concerning his love regardless of her respect. He loved me when I was not lovable at all and held on to our marriage and his family when there was absolutely nothing to hold on to. This past October, I asked him to please leave the house. I wanted to be alone. I wanted space. And I just felt like I didn't love him anymore. Reluctantly, he left for a couple weeks. I knew that my life and the life of the girls would drastically change with a divorce. I thought about the shared visitation and how we would also have to sell our home, which we recently finished remodeling, but I didn't care. I just wanted out. Meanwhile, he prayed, studied marriage books and tapes, and made a decision to love me no matter what. The girls were really starting to miss him not being around, so we decided he would return home until further notice. Well, he would hold my hand every night and pray for me and for our marriage as I stared up at the ceiling, anxiously waiting for him to finish. He would leave little notes or a little flower on the bathroom mirror or in my car. So many little things he would do to show me that he loved me, and wasn't going to let this marriage end easily. It just irritated me. I thought, can't he understand that I don't love him, and that I don't want to be with him anymore? Why is he trying so hard? I didn't feel that high in love feeling for him anymore. My needs weren't being met, so I wanted out. Very selfish and immature. I was emotionally going through something that neither of us really understood, but he stayed there and loved me through it. I'll spare you all the little extra details, but I eventually broke. No woman in her right mind could let go of that much love and commitment. Now I am very much in love with my husband. I've learned that love is not a feeling, it's a choice, a commitment. We didn't become a statistic because my husband chose to love me, no matter what my reaction toward him would be. It's really humbling to look back and see how loving and patient he was with me. Trust me, it wasn't easy. And how he, only through the strength of Christ, saved our marriage. I can't say we're completely out of the tunnel yet, but we are certainly very close. She thinks she can't forgive him. He says, nobody can love that woman. Many a wife is so beaten down by the unloving harshness of her husband that she simply has no hope. She has tried to forgive him again and again, and he only gets worse. Getting in his face, disrespecting him, seems to be the only way she can survive at all. She would like to stop the crazy cycle, but she will forgive him when he asks her for forgiveness and not before. The problem here is that few husbands will ask for forgiveness, particularly if the wife keeps going with her disrespect. The crazy cycle will spin and spin some more. There are many books on forgiveness and quite a few Bible verses, too. Jesus taught forgiveness, and so did Paul. When Peter asked Jesus if seven times was enough to forgive someone, Jesus replied, not seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Matthew 18.22 In other words, without limit.
Paul may have had Jesus' words in mind when he wrote, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Ephesians 4.32 I freely admit that it's really not fair to ask wives to forgive their unloving husbands. But this isn't about fairness. It's about touching her husband's spirit. And possibly God will touch him as well. The wife may have been mistreated, but she can influence the situation to take a new course. Can she overlook another unloving remark or thoughtless act? It is easier to forgive when you let go of the belief that your spouse intended evil. The love and respect connection teaches that when the two of you wind up spinning on the crazy cycle, your husband did not intend to be unloving any more than you intended to be disrespectful. You reacted because you felt unloved. Should a husband be unforgiving of your disrespect? when your deepest cry was for love? Ideally, the answer is no. But because he is human, your husband may react in ways that may be unloving when he feels you are disrespecting him. Why be unforgiving when all he wanted was to feel that you still respected who he is as a human being? He may have been harsh, uncaring, even uncouth, but he did not intend evil. Some wives may be a bit cynical about what I am saying, from all of your past history, you just know your spouse intended evil, at least a little. But do you really think your husband's mission is to treat you unlovingly out of an evil heart? Your husband doesn't get up in the morning thinking, what can I do to upset her today? Nor do you awaken with the goal of offending him. Yet we do step on each other's air hose. Yes, your husband's unloving actions or reactions hurt you. But as Paul put it, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Colossians 3.13 Surely forgive includes your husband. So why not move first and be the mature one? When you forgive him for being unloving, you give up your right to hold a grudge and be disrespectful in return. By forgiving, you gain strength and freedom, and amazingly, in many instances, you halt the crazy cycle. While wives may have trouble with forgiving unloving husbands, these same husbands may be tempted to think there is no way they can ever win, that nobody could love the woman they are married to. But that kind of thinking is a dead end. There is a way to win and to love that woman after all, as we will now see. If you fail to love her, rebound. Many basketball coaches put almost as much emphasis on rebounding as they do on shooting. Great players always chase down rebounds at both ends of the court. They pick up on the angle of the missed shot and position themselves to be in the right spot when the ball comes down off the rim. In many cases, after recovering the ball, they score a basket and get fouled in the process. Any coach will tell you good rebounding will keep his team in the game. The analogy is obvious. The husband who is starting to get it about the love and respect connection and who seeks his wife's forgiveness can't let a few misses stop him. Perhaps you have failed again to decode her deeper cry. You have failed again by reacting unlovingly to her contempt. In fact, you got tired of all the verbal blows and you stonewalled, withdrawing from her constant criticism. Never give up. When you miss, rebound. Go after it again. You can and will win your wife's heart, even on the heels of a miserable first performance, or a second or a third. Whenever you forget and react in an unloving way, rebound. Tell her, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me for reacting so unlovingly? Right now, husbands hearing this may be thinking, Emerson, that's okay for you, but you've never had to face what I face. Well, let's look at my record. I'm supposed to be the love and respect poster child. 
I have preached the love and respect message for more than five years, but I still have moments when I get angry and withdraw. I am still only a man, and the flesh can be weak no matter how much experience you think you have. And through the years I've had more pressure than some men. There were times when, despite all of what I had been telling seminar goers about the love and respect connection, I would become angry when Sarah would criticize me, and I would try to stonewall her. She would simply follow me through the house saying, What would you say to a husband who is acting like you? How would you counsel him to treat me? Good grief! Stop the planet! I want to get off! How embarrassing! How awkward! How unfair! At some point, however, I have to calm myself down. I have to grow up, be mature. While God is gracious and kind, He knows that old habits don't die unless they are dealt with. It's in moments like these that the Lord will speak to you, saying, Go back. You honestly forgot to decode her message. You responded like a male. You thought you were doing the honorable thing by refusing to engage her. But that isn't going to work now. It won't stop the craziness. I want you to hear her deeper cry and move toward her. Allow her to vent. Embrace her negativity and anger. If you can do that, if you can take the hit and keep coming, then you'll be able to say something like this, Honey, I'm sorry for coming across so unlovingly. When you come at me like that, it makes me angry because I feel you don't respect me. But I want to change. Please help me. When his wife comes at him with disrespect flashing in her eyes and venom shooting from her tongue, every husband has two choices. One, defend his pride by firing back venom of his own or stonewalling her. Or two, try to hear his wife's cry and respond with unconditional love. I have made the decision that with God's help I will always choose option two, try to hear Sarah's cry and respond with unconditional love. But even though our marriage is much better and stronger than ever, I still miss the loving mark now and then. And when I miss, even ever so slightly, I rebound. After calming down, usually in a few minutes, I say, I'm sorry, I know I've been unloving. And of course, from the other side of our marriage, that wonderful woman, who I always knew would be my friend, responds and says she's sorry for her disrespect. And best of all, she no longer follows me around the house, wanting to know how I would advise a husband who was acting like an unloving schmuck. Marriage, a two-become-one proposition. The love and respect connection is stopping the crazy cycle in marriages all over the country. If husband and wife can commit to meeting each other's primary needs, unconditional love for her, and unconditional respect for him, they will take a giant step toward keeping the crazy cycle under control. Note that I did not say getting rid of the crazy cycle once and for all. As much as I wish I could give you a surefire way to do this, I can't. All of us get on the crazy cycle from time to time because nobody's perfect. Sarah and I have learned to recognize the signs of when the crazy cycle is even threatening to spin, and we know how to slow it down and stop it when it does start making a revolution or two. Best of all, we have a secret weapon that usually keeps the crazy cycle in its cage. It's called the energizing cycle, which is driven by a simple mechanism. His love motivates her respect. Her respect motivates his love. Part 2. The Energizing Cycle to simplify matters, I use two acronyms containing six areas of key importance for each spouse. COUPLE, C-O-U-P-L-E, is advice for husbands with separate sections on closeness, openness, understanding, peacemaking, loyalty, and esteem. CHAIRS, C-H-A-I-R-S, covers advice for wives and includes separate sections on conquest, hierarchy, authority, insight, 
relationship, and sexuality. It takes constant work to stay in the energizing cycle. These brief sections are full of biblical help and practical tips that will help you build a better and stronger marriage. Couple, C-O-U-P-L-E, how to spell love to your wife. And let me make a note to wives. This section is for husbands only, but wives are invited to listen along. Gentlemen, we have spent quite a bit of time learning how to stop the crazy cycle. In the following sections, we want to focus on getting on the energizing cycle and staying there. The energizing cycle is proactive, it is positive, and it is preventative. Stay in the energizing cycle, and the crazy cycle will not spin. Because you and your wife are human, however, the crazy cycle may start to make a revolution or two. It still does for Sarah and me, but only when we forget to use the tools and techniques in the energizing cycle. As we've already seen, love is not a husband's mother tongue. But as you live out the several simple truths for husbands set forth in Scripture, which are presented in the acronym COUPLE, C-O-U-P-L-E, it will energize your wife. She will respond with respect, and that is your mother tongue. Before we get into the details in closeness, openness, understanding, peacemaking, loyalty, and esteem, we need to look at the word COUPLE, C-O-U-P-L-E itself. It means two people connected together, and this is the key to how women view relationships. Wives want connectivity. Think of a photograph of the two of you which symbolizes your relationship. As troubles, big or small, hit your marriage, imagine that photo being ripped straight down the middle, or at least torn a bit. Your wife sees it as her mission to tape the relationship back together. She wants to connect with you, and she approaches you with that intention in mind. Here is where couples often run into trouble as they try to work out their problems, even small ones. Women confront to connect. The typical response from a man, however, is that he thinks his wife is confronting to control. If another man talked to this man like that, he would sound intentionally provocative. Is that not why some men feel their wives are picking a fight? Even the simplest and mildest confrontation between you and your wife is an excellent illustration of this basic difference between the deepest needs of a man and a woman in a relationship. It is a clear picture of how the code you send one another can be misinterpreted because of your very different needs. In part one, we looked at the need to learn how to decode. When your good-willed wife appears negative and offensive, she is crying out for couple, C-O-U-P-L-E. At such moments, your feelings may tell you she's just being critical and disrespectful. Take it by faith, however. What she really wants is to connect. She wants your love. Learn to trust your instruments. Vertigo is defined as a sensation of dizziness and the feeling that you are being whirled about in your environment. The term vertigo is sometimes used when training people to fly, especially when they learn to fly in instruments without being able to see where they are going. Unless a pilot learns to pay attention to his instruments, he will feel as if he is being whirled about, quickly get disoriented and crash. He learns that if his instrument panel tells him he's upside down, even if he feels he's right side up, he should listen to the instrument panel and turn the plane right side up, no matter how he feels. The instrument panel is not hampered by feelings, nor is it blinded by an impassable bank of clouds or fog enveloping the plane. In short, the instrument panel cannot be fooled, and it does not lie. As we go through all of the secrets in C-O-U-P-L-E, Couple, and the various aspects of connectivity, I want you to treat the following information as your instrument panel. 
As we saw in part one, a man's tendency is to pull back from conflict. When the ocean of marriage emotions become turbulent, a husband can feel as if he is drowning. A wife, on the other hand, stays afloat quite naturally and comfortably. But if a husband will use biblical principles, God's techniques, if you will, I believe that he can learn to swim through the conflict. A man voiced his discontent to me about the way his wife would verbally emasculate him. He was a man's man, blue to the core. His tendency during her flare-ups was to stonewall, which sent her through the roof. I coached him to approach her differently to discover the benevolent power he possessed over the spirit of his wife, a power every woman readily defers to when loved. He reported back to me a shock when he tried what I suggested. As usual, she became disgruntled and vexed with him about something trivial. He stopped her and said gently but firmly, Look, you can continue to emasculate me, or you can join me on the couch where we can sit down and pray over this. Like air out of a balloon, all the negativity drained from her. She stopped her ranting, turned, headed for the couch, sat down, bowed her head, and put her hand out for him to hold. He was in utter disbelief. He had never seen such a sight. I told him, look, women may seem to be out of control, or it may appear they are trying to control you, but their real motive is to connect in love. When she feels true love coming toward her, she immediately and respectfully aligns herself with the spirit of her husband. Her goal is accomplished. That was her purpose all along. This husband saw my point. He admitted that trying my suggestions went against his natural grain. But when he saw the results, he became a believer. He had learned to trust his instrument panel. To love her doesn't mean becoming pink. Note that when I ask you to trust your instrument panel and pursue a course of love with your wife, I am not calling on you to become a woman. We make a huge mistake in the church, particularly among evangelicals. We tell men to get in tune with their feminine side, yet we don't tell women to get in tune with their masculine side. Men are not to be effeminate. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 When I challenge a husband to love, I am not calling on him to become pink. Instead, I call on him to be a man of honor, to adjust his blue sunglasses and blue hearing aids a bit and, and put on love. The truth is, it is easier for many a man to die for honor than to move toward a contemptuous wife in a loving way, saying, I believe I was wrong. Can we talk about this? To turn to your wife in the middle of a conflict and say, I am sorry, will you forgive me, takes guts. I know because I've been there. It isn't pleasant, but it works powerfully. Over time, it becomes easier, but it is never natural. Even so, this response gives you the power to drain the negativity out of your wife in conflict after conflict. C. Closeness. She wants you to be close. It is no coincidence that early on in the Bible, in describing the first marriage in human history, there is a living definition of the meaning of closeness. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Genesis 2.24 When Scripture speaks of cleaving, the idea in the Hebrew is to cling, hold, or keep close. In the book of Deuteronomy, we find still more about what it means to be close. When a man takes a new wife, he shall not go out with the army, nor be charged with any duty. He shall be free at home one year and shall give happiness to his wife whom he has taken. Deuteronomy 24, 5. This is a fascinating passage because it shows how well the Israelites understood marriage. Why the whole first year? 
They knew that the first year of marriage is fundamental. It is important to set the tone for the closeness of the relationship before the wear and tear of life takes the husband away for periods of time, before they face other problems. The first few seconds set the tone. Spending all of the first year together and never being apart is not feasible for the modern marriage, but you can still set a positive tone each day. When you come home after you have been apart, the first few moments of reconnecting will set the tone for the rest of the evening. Yet another idea is to sit and talk with her as she gets the meal together. Tell her about your day and be sure to ask her about hers. She may be busy with children or other duties, but she will be listening, I assure you. What she tends to look for is your desire to dwell with her for a short period to discover where her heart is. If she senses you authentically want to connect, this can do more for her than a one-hour discussion. For your wife, face-to-face -face time is heart-to-heart -heart time. Before you take a guilt trip, realize that no man can meet all the emotional needs of a woman. At the same time, perhaps you can start to meet some of your wife's needs by foregoing your tall, cool one, your newspaper, your sports center. In the typical marriage relationship, she leans more toward the involvement side, while he leans more toward the independent side. When you get too independent, especially when you stonewall, she does not feel close to you and begins to feel you don't love her. When she doesn't give you the space you need, you begin to feel that she's trying to get too involved and doesn't respect you. Only chickens get henpecked. The tension between involvement and independence is another illustration of the difference between pink and blue. As a man, you will probably not be able to be as involved with your wife as much as she may like. I'm not asking men to become women who sit at tiny tables at cappuccino shops and sip coffee as they share life face to face. You are a man, and your wife loves you for being a man, not a woman. She doesn't expect you to become feminine, just like her girlfriend. But when you move toward her, when you show her you want to connect in even small ways, watch what happens. This will motivate her. It will energize her, and it will keep your marriage off the crazy cycle and on the energizing cycle. Of course, you can always grab tightly onto your brass ring called independence. You can insist on having your space. After all, you work hard all week, and you deserve a little golf or fishing or watching a good game on TV. You aren't going to be the henpecked husband who can never get out with the guys because his wife always has chores or errands she wants him to do. And besides, you're not going to move toward her until you get a little more respect, a little more awareness of your need for space and independence. This, of course, does not work, never has worked, never will work. You cannot motivate your spouse to give you what you need by withholding what she really needs. If you do, you're only jumping on the crazy cycle. Without love, she'll react without respect. Without respect, you'll react without love. One of the biggest stumbling blocks to drawing closer to your wife may be the classic male fear of being so controlled you feel you can't make a move without checking with her. If you have committed to being a love and respect husband, fears that you will be henpecked are childish. Crazy cycle versus energizing cycle. Battle to the death. So choose to be an adult. I did, and it worked. I finally understood that to stop the crazy cycle and stay on the energizing cycle, I had to give Sarah what she really needs. When I did that, a funny thing happened. She became motivated to give me what I really needed. To paraphrase the golden rule, just as you want your spouse to treat you, treat your spouse in the same way. Luke 6.31 There is no neutrality here. In a way, this is war. 
a battle to the death between the crazy cycle and the energizing cycle. You can either motivate your wife rightly, or you can demoralize her. It's your choice. Being close costs nothing but your time and love. Many of the following tips and techniques are the courtesy of my wife, Sarah, who speaks on the energizing cycle during one session of every conference we do together. As she compiled her list of ideas to help husbands, Sarah put down things that appealed to her, and she also asked a large number of other women what would make them feel closer to their man. They came up with simple but effective ideas. For example, do you realize the power in just holding her hand? Just the other day I was walking with Sarah, and she said, a woman feels close to her husband and therefore feels loved when he holds her hand. Of course, I immediately took her hand. I'm a quick study. Or consider the power of a hug. A few years ago, Sarah's mother and mine died very suddenly within an 11-month period. She was close to both of these women, and I would often find her standing at the kitchen sink, sobbing. All I would do is go up to her and hug her. I said nothing, but I held Sarah until she quit crying. She told me later, I felt so close to you when you did that. Or consider being affectionate without wanting sex. That may sound a little bit like an oxymoron, but it's true. It's been said that sexual intimacy often begins at breakfast or at some other time during the day. Hug her, hold her hand, tell her you love her, tell her how pretty she is. Be affectionate, but not sexually aggressive. Remember, be affectionate and attentive every day, not just on days you want sex. Affection should be an end, not a means. O for openness. She wants you to open up to her. The wife's crushed spirit is not hard to see. Her face tells it all. While women are expressive, men are more poker-faced. The wife may complain that her husband seems to be able to operate as if there's no problem between them when she clearly is still upset and feeling crushed. He goes to work, and when he returns home, he cannot believe she is fully charged to talk about an earlier tension. Usually he has to be reminded of what exactly happened because he's forgotten. For her, the whole day has been interwoven with the spat they had at breakfast. She has replayed and rehearsed the episode a dozen times. But he says, oh, well, uh, let's just forget it, okay? Let's move on. She cannot imagine how he could make such a remark. Wives see husbands as mysterious islands. Understanding that she is integrated, that she is expressive-responsive, gives you a huge insight into knowing how to respond when she probes to get you to open up. When a couple sits in my office, the wife is trying to figure him out. She cannot understand why her husband is not as expressive as he was during courtship. During those first months of dating, both of them had been totally open, sharing inner dreams, yearnings, fears, and failures. They spoke heart to heart, and their openness was something they could literally feel, much like the lovers described in Song of Solomon. The one I love was at the door, knocking and saying, My darling, my very own, my flawless dove, open the door for me. Song of Solomon 5.2 The imagery of the opening door symbolizes two people drawing close and sharing their hearts. They are attracted to each other sexually, emotionally, and spiritually. So what happens to the typical male's openness once he is married? During courtship, the man was seeking to discover the woman of his dreams. It was an exhilarating adventure. Once he concluded that she was his dream come true, contentment set in. He no longer felt the need to share and be open. In fact, he preferred simply being together, shoulder to shoulder, and saying little. He didn't understand that his openness during courtship was spelling love to her in big letters. 
and that she was being energized beyond words by his transparent talk. Now that he is married, he doesn't understand her need for him to be open, to simply talk to her, share with her. To wives, husbands often appear as mysterious islands. Wives keep paddling around their husbands looking for a place to come ashore. But there is a fog holding them back. There is no place to land. He appears to refuse her access. As one wife wrote to me, he is completely disengaged. It is really difficult being around him. He never talks. I have no idea what would touch his heart, and I really would like to know. It seems as though I'm stumbling around in a dark room, and the light switch is not where it is supposed to be. Sarah prefers to be up-to-date on a daily basis. Most wives are like Sarah. She prefers to talk about marital problems on a daily basis to keep the relationship up-to-date. Sarah feels this prevents any major problems from developing. Throughout our early years of marriage, I really didn't understand what she meant by keeping things up-to-date to prevent problems. In fact, I often thought that talking about potential problems on a daily basis had to mean we really did have some kind of major marital problem. Through the years, I misinterpreted Sarah's purpose behind the talks. I often felt they were another rebuke for my failure to be loving, so I'd pull back to prevent feeling disrespected. When I responded to her questions with silence, she would move toward me even more, trying to find out what the difficulty was, and that only made me withdraw all the more. I finally learned what was going on, but until I did, the crazy cycle spun more than it needed to. Now to keep us on the energizing cycle, I work hard at decoding Sarah's messages when she starts asking questions or pressing me for information. I still have that natural male inclination to think she may be snooping, prying, criticizing, or even trying to control me. I am tempted to feel like the husband who told me, My wife is always prying. I feel like she has these giant claws, you know, the kind they use to open up automobiles to rescue people inside, and she is meddling to get inside me. I need my space. I need my independence. I know how this man feels. But I put those kinds of thoughts aside. I know Sarah is not trying to control me. She's a good-willed woman. I know she just wants to connect with me and feel an openness and closeness between us. This is a powerful part of her femininity why I fell in love with her in the first place. As a husband, you must understand that those feelings of being interrogated and thinking your wife is snooping or asking a lot of unnecessary questions are going to come over you. It will happen, and you must stop yourself before you get upset. Think about why your wife is doing this. She wants to keep things up to date. She's moving toward you because she loves you. You matter to her. Beware of becoming embittered. Unfortunately, some husbands can't or won't try to deal with their verbal wives because they fear feeling inadequate and disrespected. Over the years, I've dealt with many bitter husbands whose anger simmers just below the surface. This kind of husband is not sweetly and gently open with his wife. Instead, he is suspicious of her and feels she has an agenda to irritate and provoke him. His wife intuitively knows or strongly suspects he is secretly and constantly mad at her. The Apostle Paul may well have had this kind of man in mind when he wrote the only negative admonition in the entire New Testament to husbands about how they should treat their wives. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Colossians 3.19 The concept conveyed in the Greek is the idea of a bitter taste in the mouth. To be embittered means that you are upset and irritated, exasperated, indignant, and angry. When we talk about a person being bitter, 
we usually think he is churning angrily inside over some past disappointment. The embittered husband can be harsh, cynical, or resentful. Instead of being open to his wife, he closes off his deepest heart, giving the impression there is very little he finds tasteful about her. The bitter husband has no hope for openness with his wife. Perhaps some degree of bitterness is still a problem for you in your marriage, even though you and your wife have vowed to get off the crazy cycle and start energizing each other. The answer to bitterness is to listen to the gentle prodding of the Holy Spirit. I suggest you meditate on John 14, verse 17 and 26, and Romans chapter 8, verse 9. How will you then live with this sensitive creature? At this point, many a husband might be saying, Good grief! I had no idea what I was getting into when I married this sensitive creature. That's right, you didn't. But you should be thankful for your wife's sensitivity and its many facets. Her sensitivity enables her to stay up all night with the kids when they are sick. Her sensitivity is what drives her to wait on you hand and foot when you're down with the flu, moaning, groaning, and wanting another excedrin. Yes, her sensitivity sometimes causes her to feel that you're closing yourself off from her, that you're angry with her. You may be tempted to say, Oh, please, don't be so sensitive. But better to realize you must take her weaknesses with her strengths. Every husband must make a decision about his wife's sensitivity and needs. He can close himself off and refuse to be open, or he can move toward her and connect with her at new levels of openness. One of the simplest yet most effective steps you can take is simply to share your day with her. If you don't want to talk at that moment, say something like, something happened at work today and maybe we can talk about it later, but right now I'd rather not. There is nothing wrong between us. That last phrase is what she will be looking for. She needs reassurance that your mood has nothing to do with her. When you do talk, be especially wary of sounding harsh. A man is typically quite forceful in expressing his opinions. You can sound harsh without realizing it. You may not have meant to be harsh, but your wife deflates right before your eyes. As you simply stated the facts and firmly gave your opinion, you clamp down on her air hose. And one more thing, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, remember that if you are good-willed and open to your wife emotionally, she will feel close to you and open with you sexually. To put it another way, you must not be open to get sex. A wife sees through that and is turned off sexually. But when you authentically meet her emotional needs, she'll be empathetic to your sexual needs. God has designed marriage to be symbiotic. You is for understanding. Don't try to fix her, just listen. We have already touched on 1 Peter 3.7, but now we want to look at this verse through a lens labeled, How to Have Empathy for Your Wife. Peter advises husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way. I love this verse because Peter doesn't say that I have to understand Sarah. Like every other male, I know that I cannot totally understand any woman, even the one I love with all my heart. The key is for me to come across as wanting to live with Sarah in an understanding way, and even more, I want her to know that I trust her heart. I realize that 1 Peter 3.7 is a controversial verse for some because the complete passage says that husbands should live with their wives in an understanding way as unto the weaker vessel. Feminists bristle at that one and claim, The man is not the stronger sex, we're equal. What we must remember, however, is that Peter makes a comparative statement, not a qualitative one. He is not saying that women are weak. He is saying that a wife is a weaker vessel 
because of her vulnerability to her husband within the marriage relationship. Your wife is vulnerable to you in at least two areas. One, when you say things such as, I just don't understand you. I wonder if it's worth it to try. And two, when you dishonor her by treating her as less than an equal fellow heir of the grace of life. See 1 Peter 3.7. Feminists try to use this verse to say the Bible declares women are the weaker sex. What Peter is saying is that a wife is vulnerable to her husband, not that all women are weaker than all men, and when you, her husband, do not seek to understand her, she is very vulnerable indeed. Always handle porcelain with care. One way to look at the phrase weaker vessel is to think of two bowls, one made of porcelain, the other made of copper. The husband is copper, the wife is porcelain. It's not that she is of less value. In fact, a porcelain bowl can sometimes have greater value than a copper bowl. The bowls are different and have different functions in different settings. But your wife, the porcelain bowl, is delicate. She can be cracked, even broken, if you are not careful. In the heat of frustration, a husband might say, Nobody can understand women, particularly you. And at this point, he might turn around and go off somewhere to Stonewall for a while, vowing to himself not to kowtow to her controlling manner until she starts respecting him. If you've been in a situation like this and then uttered unfortunate words along these lines, you might want to look down and notice the holes in your shoes. You just shot yourself in both feet, again. God has not made your wife to function around that kind of attitude. God is calling husbands to realize that their wives are porcelain bowls on which he has placed a clearly legible sign, handle with care. One husband finally realized his wife was his ally, not his enemy. He saw her as the kind of woman Peter describes, delicate and worthy of honor. In accepting her and appreciating her, the whole relationship began to shift. He said, We are on a new plateau of understanding each other. I used to pray over and over, God, please heal our marriage. The pain is too much. Why did you ever put us together? Now I'm very thankful he did. My wife is my match in every way. Before I could not see it. A huge burden has been lifted. I am not the same. The C-O-U-P-L-E, the couple principles, are connected. Perhaps you have been noticing the connection in the principles that are represented by the letters of the word couple, C-O-U-P-L-E. Closeness and openness are very similar, and one plays off the other. And understanding plays off of closeness and openness. As you draw close to your wife and are open with her, she will sense that you understand, or at least you are trying to. Remember, the husband is the Christ figure, the woman is the church figure. And as a church places its burden on Christ, a wife wants to place her burdens on her husband. Even if she can't articulate it in these words, your wife thinks of you as that burden-bearer, as having those big shoulders. When she comes to you for understanding, it is a compliment. This is a big part of what love is all about. But when you shut her out, close her down, or don't seem to hear what she is trying to say, it devastates her spirit. To understand, just listen. How can you be an understanding husband? The most powerful weapons you have are your ears. Just listen to your wife, and she is much more likely to feel understood. But because his hearing aids are blue, a husband has a major hurdle. To just listen is usually not a strong suit. He's better built to analyze, give answers, and fix the situation. The unaware husband doesn't readily decode the messages his wife is sending when she comes to him with her problems. One vivid example is when Sarah and I were first dating at Wheaton College. She was taking Spanish and wasn't doing very well. 
As we sat in the library one day, she started telling me her troubles with her Spanish class. I listened carefully as she poured out her problems. Then I said, okay, I'll start working on this. The solution is in creating a study calendar. We break your lessons up into little pieces, and each day you study a small chunk. Then and there at the library study table, I busied myself laying out a study schedule for Sarah. In a few minutes, I had the schedule complete. I looked up, and Sarah was nowhere to be found. I glanced across the library and saw her laughing heartily with her girlfriends, having a good time. Unsure of what was going on, I wondered to myself, did I somehow solve her problem already? So I caught Sarah's eye and motioned her over. She came quickly and sat down with a happy look on her face. Did I, um, solve your Spanish problem? Oh, no, not really. Then why are you happy, I asked. Oh, I just needed somebody to listen to me, she said with a big smile. Now I feel better. Somehow I had managed to give Sarah just what she wanted, an understanding ear. The dynamic that was at work that day in the library when I listened to Sarah pour out her Spanish problems is a very powerful one. The truth is I really didn't have to fix her problem. All she really wanted was my listening ear. As a husband, if you can grasp that you don't always have to solve your wife's problems, you will take a giant step toward showing her empathy and understanding. Not only that, it will save a lot of time, trouble, and turns on the crazy cycle. Do you need a solution or my ear? Over the years, I've had my ups and downs with being a good listener, but I have learned when Sarah comes to me with a burden, I ask two questions. The first question is, am I in trouble? The answer to this usually is, no, no, no. My second question is really the more important one. Do you need a solution or a listening ear? Then Sarah can say, and she usually does, I just need you to listen. So I listen. After Sarah has shared her problem, big or small, she feels better. She goes away feeling understood and loved. The energizing cycle is humming. But in counseling situations and at our conferences, I meet many husbands who don't get it. In fact, trying to fix instead of listen is often a big point of conflict in marriage. These husbands are still operating with strictly blue sunglasses and blue hearing aids. They are coming at problems like men. At times, one man comes to another man with his problem. Instinctively, Harry knows that Joe is not approaching him so he can release his emotions. He knows Joe isn't hoping that he will just listen to him. Only when a man is in a really major crisis will he want someone just to listen because he's absolutely at the end of his tether. But 95 to 98% of the time, one man comes to another to share his problem because he would like some help. So Harry says, well, have you tried this? And he lays out a possible solution. Hey, that's a good idea, says Joe. Thanks a lot. Men, you see, believe they help others by solving the problems. One thing to remember is that when a wife comes to a husband with her problem, she isn't coming because she wants him to solve it. In fact, in many cases, she knows exactly what she needs to do. But she comes to share, to feel understood, to communicate at an entirely different level. Men tend to communicate for one reason only, to exchange information. They wonder, why else would you want to communicate? Get to the facts, share opinions, come to some conclusions. What else is there? So when a wife comes up and says, can we talk? The husband responds, what about? He is ready to exchange information, to give solutions. But then she says, oh, I don't know. I just need to talk. This is not a comforting line for the average husband. This throws his information exchange system totally out of whack. He begins to get suspicious. She must be setting him up to ball him out about something. 
just talking is a key to understanding. I stress the importance of setting aside time to talk to your wife. This is not an option. This is a must. Talking is when women report to build rapport. This may sound like small talk to you. You may or may not be ready for it at all times, particularly after getting home from a hard day at work. But take time to talk to her if at all possible. Understand the importance she puts on sharing her report and having you share yours. You don't have to give every detail of the day. Try, however, to go over a few highlights, a certain happening, something that will make her feel loved because she will be building rapport with the most important person in her life. Remember, too, that wives love to talk to release their emotions. Because a woman is an integrated personality, she is like a tea kettle. She collects all the things that have happened to her over the day, and there is a buildup. She needs to release some of these feelings, and it really can't wait until tomorrow or the next day. Women also need to talk to realize their feelings. Men usually know what they are feeling, and they will talk about it if they think it necessary. Women, on the other hand, can be feeling a lot of things but not know exactly what they are. As they begin to talk about what happened through the day, they can work back to the problem that they can't seem to put their finger on. That's why a wife sometimes says, Can we talk? When asked why, she doesn't really know. She just had a bad day and I just need to talk. As a husband, you must realize your wife needs to process her feelings, to realize exactly how she is feeling. As she talks to you, it clarifies things for her. Then she feels better and she feels understood. There are many ways to let your wife know that you are trying to understand her and what she faces each day as the emotional center of your home. At every opportunity, express appreciation for all she does. We know of one husband who gave his wife a special card, thanking her for every menial task she does around their home, from washing the clothes to doing the cooking, from taking the kids to school with lunches packed to helping them with their homework. There was a list of 10 or 15 items. The wife was so touched by this card that she said, I'm sticking this in my Bible, and I'm going to reread it often. That wife felt understood, at least in part. Be aware, however, that a woman's need to feel you understand is insatiable. It will take constant effort on your part, and while you can never do it perfectly, every effort you make will tell her, I love you. P. Peacemaking. She wants you to say, I'm sorry. There is a fourth side to connectivity that we need to look at very carefully. Peacemaking. In some ways, it might be most important. If there is a rift, a conflict, even a sense of tension, you and your wife are not fully at peace, and therefore, you can't really feel connected. Without peace in your relationship, she doesn't feel close. She doesn't feel you're open. And she certainly thinks you don't understand. All this can be traced back to the tension or rift that has come between you. Along with research done by academics on connectivity, I also studied the scriptures and came upon a paradox. I learned that God intended for some conflict to exist in a marriage. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 and 4. Even secular research showed that the best marriage relationships have some conflict. It's almost as if you need a degree of conflict to keep the passion there. The sequence seems to have the couple experience a misunderstanding, they have a minor argument, a bump of some kind. But as they work through this conflict, they deepen their understanding of each other and value and appreciate one another all the more as they reconcile the conflict. Obviously, when the sparks fly and a couple has a conflict, serious or minor, there is a risk. It can go one of two ways. 
Sparks can cause a controllable fire that heats the house and makes things warm and comfortable, or sparks can set a wildfire that burns the house down. All married couples must realize that the sparks are going to be there. The question is, how will you control them? I talked with one husband who confessed that he tried to motivate his wife to show him some respect by acting very unlovingly. He distanced himself from her. He closed off his spirit in anger. He disregarded her feelings. He argued his points to win and never reconciled. In short, he never made peace with her. He admitted to me, I thought if I did all that, she'd start showing me a little more respect. Then he put his head down on the table in despair and said, But she divorced me. And until now, I didn't know why. Husband and wife can work it out. As you have conflict, your wife will probably recognize it much sooner than you do. She can feel rejected by you in a way that you do not feel rejected by her. See Isaiah 54, 6. Consequently, she wants to have things resolved between the two of you, and she will move toward you to get this done. As you go head-to-head -head and solve the problem, you become heart-to-heart. -heart. This is very precious to her. It's a very powerful thing for your wife when she knows that the two of you are at peace. Don't refuse to make peace by running from conflict with your spouse. Conflict is not a sign you have a bad marriage. In fact, the Bible says that those who marry, quote, will have trouble, end of quote, 1 Corinthians 7, 28. What kind of trouble did Paul have in mind? Earlier in the section, he lays down an excellent principle for dealing with conflict in marriage. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 and 4. In this passage, Paul is giving advice to married couples in the church at Corinth. It was not uncommon in the first century for some believers to get the idea that a good Christian would abstain from sex completely, and apparently that was what was going on at Corinth. To correct this error, Paul encourages sexual relations between husband and wife because this is the way not to fall into temptation and immorality outside of marriage. It seems a little odd, however, when Paul says that the wife doesn't have authority over her own body, and the husband does, and the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, the wife does. What does Paul mean? I believe he's laying out one of the great principles of the New Testament. Because you have equal but differing needs, you will experience conflict. But you can work this out as partners. The husband should not act independently from his wife, and the wife should not act independently from her husband. A husband and wife should and can act together. It is as if God said, I'm going to allow for tension to exist in your marriage. I intend for you to work this out, because as you work out your tensions, your relationship is going to deepen, and then deepen some more, and you're going to continue to go through life working it out, back and forth, back and forth. My wife is always getting historical. As I talked with one man about his marriage, he told me that every time he and his wife got into a fight, she would get historical. To be sure I understood, I asked him if he actually meant hysterical. He said, no historical. She dredges everything up from the past. Many wives are very good at getting historical. That's why it doesn't do a husband a lot of good to try to end a conflict by saying, let's just drop it. That is not how she thinks, and she will not drop it. She may let it go for the moment, but she will remember, and eventually she'll start rehearsing history for her husband again. 
Almost every husband I have ever talked with can share stories about his wife's seemingly limitless capacity to remember who said what, where it happened, who was wearing what, etc. Your wife is wired to get historical, to bring things up that you've totally forgotten, to go full circle and then get them resolved. She's dredging them up so she can clear the air and feel love in the relationship. And you, the hapless husband who stands bewildered before her seemingly superhuman memory, will have to come to the point where you accept that this is her integrated personality in action and that she can't just drop it. Whenever she gets historical, she is trying to reconcile with you. She wants you to be open with her, and she's trying to encourage understanding and peace between you. She wants to be sure you aren't angry with her so that she can feel loved. She is not trying to provoke you, although it may sound that way as she delivers her historical diatribe. Husbands have a hard time believing this. The fellow who told me his wife often got historical was more than skeptical when I tried to explain that she was trying to increase feelings of love between them. No way, he said in bewilderment. But it's true because this is how a woman's mind works. During a conflict, the woman's approach to solving that conflict is very different from how the man resolves conflict. Some men might apologize to one another, but as a rule it's just sort of taken for granted that they will just drop it, and they do. So when a husband is approached by a wife who wants to resolve a conflict by sharing her feelings and coming full circle to a resolution, he balks. Halfway around her circle, the husband says, Drop it. Just forget it. It's over with. But the problem with that is she won't believe him. In her mind, she knows it's not over. She knows she will bring it up again because she's still sitting on the whole thing. She is so dominated by the drive to love that it is difficult for her to believe that her husband could process it any other way than she processes it. Here's what happens. When you shut down a discussion by saying just drop it, your wife is likely to think you're still secretly angry with her and that this thing really is unresolved. Without any resolution, it'll be very difficult for her to be happy. For any husband who wants fewer ongoing arguments, the path to peace is plain. He must learn to simply say, Honey, I am sorry, will you forgive me? I did not mean to do that. Do this, even if in your mind most of the guilt or blame is hers. The percentage of guilt is not the issue. As always, the real issue is love and respect. Why it's hard for a man to say, I'm sorry. As a husband, I want to share with all husbands that I understand why it's hard to say, I'm sorry. When a woman says, I'm sorry, to her it's an increase of love. But when a man says, I'm sorry, he fears that he will lose respect. This is especially true if he says he's sorry for something and then his wife brings it up again because she isn't convinced he means it. She simply thinks the issue is not resolved and it must be discussed some more. But he thinks she has just violated his honor code. For him, going over it again is a lot more serious. It is easy enough, of course, to just accuse the male of being proud. I'm not saying that there is not some element of pride involved here. But mixed in with male pride is a deep sense of honor and wanting respect. To all husbands, I want to say, I've been there. I have had to push through and say to Sarah, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And when I finally convinced her that I meant it, it healed her spirit. Those simple words put her at peace. A short course on peacemaking. Still not sure about how to make peace with your wife? Following are some good techniques and principles which correlate with Scripture. First, have absolute confidence in the power of your loving demeanor. To paraphrase Proverbs 15.1, a gentle, loving answer turns away wrath, especially your wife's. 
When you show a loving demeanor during a conflict of any kind, you are likely to touch the deepest part of her heart. Your loving attitude triggers something within her heart as a woman. God made her this way. Bottom line, she reciprocates. A husband cannot outgive a good-willed wife. But when you give in, be sure you mean it. If she detects insincerity on your part, you're probably due for another spin on the crazy cycle. Granted, a husband can ask, Well, what if I keep loving and keep giving in and still feel disrespected? What should I do? At this point, you have earned the right to say, I'm seeking to give in to you and be loving, but I'm feeling disrespected. What am I saying to you that is unloving? Good-willed women tend to respond to reasonable, loving, honest requests and will seek ways to be more deferential. If your wife did not see it the first time, she will very likely see it the second time. Second, you will make peace with her when you don't blame her, but instead confess you are part of the blame. See James 5, verse 16. I have said it already, but I repeat for emphasis. Admit when you are wrong and apologize by saying, I am sorry. That is a big turn-on for a woman, but an even bigger turn-on is to add, I think I really understand your feelings and why you react as you do. Will you forgive me? One more thing about confessing. Your motive should never be to confess so she will admit she was wrong too. But often that is exactly what happens. Women are wired for equality. For example, she doesn't like feeling inferior or in the wrong. But neither does she want you to feel you're inferior or in the wrong. After you confess, my prediction is that she will quickly say, it's not all your fault. Actually, it's me too. In fact, it may be more me. I'm sorry for what I did. Will you forgive me? She will meet you halfway almost every time. This is peacemaking in a woman's world. Some men think, why bother with all of this I'm sorry stuff? They're just words. Well, you must understand that words are very powerful to your wife. Remember, although she may not be consciously thinking it, you are the Christ figure to her. God has instilled that in her. If you utter sincere words of apology, forgiveness, and love, she will trust those words and trust you. It can heal the whole thing, and you will be joined together in a sense as soulmates, no longer two, but one, which is what Jesus said in Matthew 19.6. You will experience the harmony and connectivity that God intended for marriage. Loyalty. She needs to know you're committed. Your wife knows she is a one-man woman, that she's committed to you. But she may wonder at times if you are a one-woman man. It's perfectly natural for a wife to think this, particularly when she sees her husband being attracted by some beautiful female walking by or on TV. She takes this as a possibility that he might be unfaithful to her. To be candid, she is insecure in this area, and she needs reassurance, not jokes and teasing. Let's look at the other side of the coin. Suppose your wife came home and said, Do you know that Dave Smith down the street just got his third promotion? Well, my good friend Marge works in his office, and she says people stop at his desk all the time to get counsel. The word is that he's a real man's man. You know, he runs marathons and lifts weights at the health club. He's making excellent money and spends a lot of it on his wife and kids. When are you going to start working out and getting rid of that pot belly? And when is your next promotion coming up? We could sure use some more money around here. Now that speech is more than overstated, but you get the idea. 
If your wife said anything along those lines, it wouldn't make you feel good. In fact, depending on the kind of day or week you've had, you might be devastated. It's a swimsuit issue world. Have you ever thought about how difficult it is for a wife in today's sex-happy, pornography-riddled, swimsuit issue world? The way in which she looks at that world through her pink sunglasses is much different than the way you look at it through your blue ones. That is why Job had the right idea. I made an agreement with my eyes. I promised not to look at another woman with sexual longing. Job 31.1 Job recognized that sinful people are destroyed. Trouble comes to those who do what is wrong. Job 31.3 Job understood the impact of his actions, not only on his spiritual life, but also on his relationship to his wife. All husbands might learn from Job at this point. When a woman senses that her husband has made a covenant with God, that he's trying to make Jesus the Lord of his life in every area, including his marriage, she feels more secure. When she is assured of her husband's love and loyalty, she is energized and motivated. This is the way God has made her. And this is why the covenant of marriage is based upon loyalty, until death do you part. Your wife feels so deeply what the lover in Song of Solomon expressed, Keep me close to yourself like the ring on your finger. Song of Solomon 8.6 The custom of giving each other a ring during your wedding ceremony captures the idea behind the verse. And oh, the symbolism of that ring to a woman. The ring tells her she is loved and no longer alone. This is one person in the world who will be loyal to her for life, not until divorce do you part. Many men do not wear wedding rings because of the kind of job they do, because they engage in sports, or because they have put on a few pounds through the years and the ring no longer fits. But a ring that no longer fits can be enlarged, or you can purchase another only for a few dollars. Rings don't cost that much. And even if you have to take it off now and then while at work or playing a game, you can always slip it right back on. A wedding ring is a sign of loyalty. No husband should leave home without one. And while you are sure to wear a wedding ring, also be sure to never bring up the D word, even in jest. The word divorce does not make your wife feel secure, no matter what the context. Why start slipping back toward the crazy cycle? Do everything you can to let your wife know you are committed to her, for long as you both shall live. Esteem. She wants you to honor and cherish her. Over the years, many men have come to me and said, You know, Pastor, my prayer life isn't what it should be. I respond, How are you treating your wife? No, no, the husband hastens to explain, My prayer life isn't where it ought to be. How are you treating your wife? No, no, Pastor, I'm saying my prayer life. I'm not talking about my wife. I smile and say, I'm talking about your wife. In part one, we talked about scriptural reasons that husbands are to value their wives as equals. The major passage we looked at was 1 Peter 3.7, which tells husbands to live in an understanding way with their wives and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Tucked into 1 Peter 3.7 is one more phrase that every husband should heed. Peter adds that the reason the husband should treat his wife in an understanding way as a fellow heir in Christ is so that his prayers will not be hindered. That is why I would often tell men who came to see me for counsel that if heaven seemed silent to their prayers, perhaps they were not honoring their wives as God intended. These men were sure they were doing all the right things, walking in integrity and serving the Lord, but when they prayed, the heavens seemed as brass. They kept wondering, God, why aren't you hearing me? 
And as we probed a little deeper, we often saw that the answer of these men was that they weren't living with their wives in an understanding way that honored and esteemed them. As soon as these men started obeying Scripture, their prayer life improved. The couple principles are connected, C-O-U-P-L-E. In a very real sense, the C-O-U-P-L-E acronym is a commentary on the best way to show respect to a wife. The best way to respect or honor a wife is through your closeness, openness, understanding, peacemaking, loyalty, and now E for esteem. A wife who is esteemed will not sing Aretha Franklin's refrain, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Scripture speaks of how a man should esteem and cherish his beloved. Song of Solomon 7.6 says, How beautiful and how delightful you are, my love, with all your charms. A husband is to be one who cherishes his wife, Ephesians 5.29. In the well-known passage of Proverbs 31, verses 28 and 29, say, Her children stand up and call her blessed. Her husband also rises up and he praises her. He says, Many women do noble things, but you are better than all the others. God has made women so that they want to be esteemed, honored, and respected. The way to honor your wife, as well as to honor your covenant with God, is to treasure her. When I say your wife wants honor or respect, it is a different kind of honor from what you seek as a man. For her, respect is a part of love. Probably the only time you will ever hear her say, you don't respect me, is when you dismiss her opinion. Actually, her exact words might be, I know you don't love me because you don't respect me. Your wife wants to know that you have her on your mind and heart first and foremost. This is what I mean by esteem. When it's there, your wife will feel treasured as if she's the most loved woman on earth. Also, she will want to respect you in a similar way that the church reverences Christ. Remember that your love motivates her respect, and her respect motivates your love. Our kids often made Sarah feel like a failure. On many occasions, while our children were growing up, Sarah would get discouraged with her mothering role. And when the kids got into trouble, caused trouble, or were just plain trouble, as kids can be, she felt inadequate, and that flowed into self-deprecation. She would say, I feel like such a failure. When our kids were very young, I used to ignore Sarah's complaints or play them down as no big deal. But as our two sons and daughter got into the teenage years, I began understanding what Sarah wanted when she came to me to say she felt like a failure or that she was no good as a mom. She wanted reassurance that I believed in her and the course she was taking in her role as a mother. She just wanted to know if I had confidence in the decision she was making or was I second-guessing her. I continually let her know that I valued her efforts and commitment and that I prized her and the part she played in my life as well as in the lives of the children. I knew I could not do her job, and I often told her so. Use symbols to show your wife esteem. Women are the ones who have babies, and that's one reason that birthdays are a big deal to them. For nine months, she is asked, When is the due date? Birth is part of the culture of women. Only women give birth. As Jeremiah observed, quote, Ask now and see if a male can give birth. Jeremiah 30, verse 6. In a woman's mind, who could possibly forget a birthday? She never would. Much the same way, a marriage date is etched in the woman's soul, since childhood, your wife dreamed of the wedding day as she played dress-up and sang, Here Comes the Bride. Even today, your wife will show wedding pictures to her friends. They will talk about her dress, her hairdo back then, etc. Husbands, however, never played dress-up in tuxes. 
Husbands do not say, hey, Harry, let me show you what the guys wore in my wedding. This is a graphic illustration of pink and blue, and you should be aware of it. For your wife, there are no more important dates than your wedding anniversary and her birthday, as well as the birthdays of others in the family. All of these dates are opportunities for you to show her that you love and esteem her by remembering them and celebrating them with her. Thank her for all she does. One other way to esteem your wife is to let her know you really appreciate all she does. You may have heard the story of the husband who came home from work to find bikes and scooters blocking the driveway, the house in shambles, dirty dishes stacked in the sink, dirty laundry piled up, pieces of clothing scattered everywhere, and his two preschool children drawing on the walls. He finally found his wife asleep in bed. He woke her up and asked, Honey, the place is a disaster. The kids are running wild. What is going on? She looked at him with a wan, tired smile. Well, you know how you always come home and you ask me what I did all day? He says, yeah. Well, today I didn't do it, okay? Esteem your wife for what she does, but don't overlook cherishing her simply for who she is. One woman said to her husband, I just got off the phone with my sister. She's incredible. She tells me that she helped her husband build a back porch on their house this summer. She also made a rocking chair, and she's in an exotic foods cooking class. She's always doing something, making something. I feel so inadequate when I talk with her. What do I make? Her husband turned to her and said, You make me happy. Bingo. Bonus points for that husband. He knows how to esteem his wife. Chairs, C-H-A-I-R-S. How to spell respect to your husband. A note to the husbands. What we're about to read is for wives only. But husbands are invited to listen along. Ladies, we have taken your husbands through C-O-U-P-L-E, couple, to help them become more loving men. Now it's your turn. We will take you through the acronym CHAIRS, C-H-A-I-R-S, to give you practical biblical ways that will help you become more respectful women. Wives do not need a lot of coaching on being loving. It is something God built into them, and they do it naturally. However, they do need help with respect. CHAIRS is an acronym that stands for six major values that your husband holds. Conquest, hierarchy, authority, insight, relationship, and sexuality. Each of these values will be covered. In conquest, you will learn to appreciate his desire to work and achieve. Hierarchy deals with appreciating his desire to protect and provide. Authority covers appreciating his desire to serve and to lead. Insight touches on appreciating his desire to analyze and counsel. Relationship helps you understand his desire for shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder friendship. Sexuality explains his desire for sexual intimacy. In these six areas, you will learn how to spell respect to your husband. Granted, unconditional respect almost sounds to some women like an oxymoron. After all, he should earn respect, not be given respect unconditionally, or so many women seem to think. Ever since I have started teaching the love and respect connection, I have struggled with helping wives see what unconditional respect can do for their husbands and their marriages. Giving your husband unconditional respect is the clear path to receiving unconditional love from him, but it is still hard for women to grasp. How to use the respect test with your husband. When I began teaching the love and respect connection, I would talk to various groups and quote them the key passages, Ephesians 5.33, the wife must respect her husband. And 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Wives, 
Be submissive to your own husbands as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. But frankly, many women would dismiss these verses almost flippantly by pointing out that Paul was a male, and so was Peter. How could they know how a woman felt? Instead of preaching sermons about not rebelling against inspired scripture, I devised a way they could test the concept of unconditional respect with their husbands. Not surprisingly, I call it the respect test. I asked a group of wives to spend a bit of time thinking of some things they respected about their husbands. It took some of them quite a while, but they all finally did it. Then I told them to go home, wait until their husbands weren't busy or distracted, and say, I was thinking about you today, and several things about you that I respect, and I just want you to know that I respect you. After saying this, they were not to wait for any response, just mention something they needed to do and quietly start to leave the room. Then they were to see what would happen. One woman reported back to me that after telling her husband she respected him, she turned to leave, but she never even made it to the door. He practically screamed, Wait! Wait! Come back! What things? Fortunately, and this is very important, she was ready to tell him what she respected about him, and she proceeded to do so. After she finished, he said, Wow! Hey, um, can I take the family out to dinner? The wife was aghast. Her husband had seldom, if ever, taken the family out to dinner. What was going on here? I explained to her that a man's first and fundamental impulse is to serve, especially in response to being honored. She had honored him, and he wanted to do something about it. The wife had to ask for a rain check because the kids had commitments that evening, and he agreed. About fifteen minutes later, however, she heard pots and pans banging in the kitchen. She went to look and found her husband fixing dinner. Her husband had never fixed dinner. Never. This was a first. Again, he was serving. A few days later, this wife wrote us again and said, You won't believe it. He's in the laundry room. Do you have any other respect tests? I think I might get a cruise out of this. Could a wife use the respect test to manipulate her husband to take her on a cruise? That's possible. But this wife was not guilty of manipulation. She sincerely tried expressing respect for her husband, and it worked far beyond her expectations. To repeat what I said earlier, a husband who has basic goodwill will serve his wife when she respects him for who he is. I am convinced that the key to motivating another person is meeting his or her deepest need. Granted, not every wife may get the same response that this woman received. Some husbands might mull over the respect test for a while and say something later, or they might say nothing at all. The point is, using the respect test means taking a step of faith. It's admitting that you understand what God's Word says about unconditional respect for your husband. You show him respect, regardless of his response. Be ready with reasons that you respect him. When a wife tells her husband that there are several things that she respects about him, most husbands, after regaining consciousness, will instantly ask, What were you thinking? What did you mean? Uh, what do you respect about me? A wife needs to be prepared to answer these questions honestly and genuinely. Don't expect to make your respect statement, head for the hills and hope he never mentions it again. Trust me, that won't happen. But what if a wife just doesn't know what to say? We've talked with many wives who admit there just isn't anything they really respect about their husbands. But a wife who says this is usually too angry or perhaps too discouraged to think about what she can respect in her husband. First, this kind of wife must ask herself, is my husband, as unaware and unloving as he is, a man of basic goodwill? If the answer to this question is yes in any degree at all, then this wife can start making her list. It will help her to realize that her husband is made in the image of God. 
and he has God-given attributes that are worthy of respect. For example, he desires to work and achieve, and to protect and provide for his family. He desires to be strong and to lead in the good sense of the word. We'll look at these and other God-given male attributes in following sections. The point is this. Look at his desires, not at his performance. Here are some thoughts to get you started. You can frame them in your own particular words. Honey, I respect how you get up every day and go to work to provide for the family. That isn't an option. You have to do it, and you do. Honey, I respect you for your desire to protect me and provide for me and the family. I think of all the insurance you have for us. I know the bills weigh on you at times, and I admire you for your commitment. The key is to focus on the positive instead of always going back to the negative. A wife must try to see what God sees. Is your husband basically a man of goodwill? Get in touch with that fact and express respect for it. A scripture passage I often reference regarding goodwill in marriage is 1 Corinthians 7, 33 and 34. Paul assumes that married couples in Corinth have goodwill toward each other. He points out that an unmarried man has more time for doing the Lord's work, but that a married man, quote, is concerned about how he may please his wife, end of quote, verse 33. Paul goes on to say that it is the same for a wife who, quote, is concerned about how she may please her husband, end of quote, verse 34. A good-willed husband does not try to displease his wife, but to please her, as Paul clearly states in 1 Corinthians 7.33. I always urge a wife who is feeling unloved to be slow in asserting that her husband is unloving or does not want to love her. This is impugning an evil motive upon her husband, which is too drastic a judgment. True, a husband may not be as loving as he ought to be, but he is not consciously, willfully, and habitually trying to be unloving and displeasing. During those moments when a husband displeases a wife or a wife displeases her husband, it helps to keep certain scriptures in mind. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 26:41, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Or what about Ecclesiastes 7:20? Indeed, there is not a righteous man, or we could say a woman, on earth who continually does good and who never sins. When a husband gets angry or stubborn, his wife must realize he is not set on a course to hurt her. He tries to be well-meaning. He wants a happy marriage. And because he wants that happy marriage, wives who try the respect test can be amazed at what will happen. Men are starving for respect. One wife who attended one of our conferences wrote to me and reported what happened when she used the respect test. Instead of talking to him, she typed up a card that told her husband how much she respected him for working so hard to provide for the family and letting her be a stay-at-home mom for their three daughters. She tucked it in his briefcase and he found it the next day by mid-morning. Immediately, he called her on his cell phone and thanked her for making his whole day. Conquest, the letter C of chairs, appreciate his desire to work and achieve. As we begin to unpack the acronym chairs, our first letter is C, standing for conquest. Because I'm talking primarily to wives, many of you may be wondering why I picked such an unromantic word, conquest. Sounds like something out of the dark ages of chauvinism when men believed it was their right to conquer women physically, sexually, mentally, and emotionally. That kind of conquest is not at all what I have in mind. By conquest, I mean the natural, inborn desire of the man to go out and conquer the challenges of his world, to work and achieve. As a wife, if you can start to understand how important your husband's work is to him, you will take a giant step toward communicating respect and honor two things that he values even more than your love. 
Let's create a scene that might illustrate how a man feels about conquest. Suppose a husband has lost his job. He comes home and tells his wife. He looks shattered, dazed, defeated. To help her husband, the wife says, It doesn't matter. All that matters is that we love one another. Does this seem to help? He looks at her blankly, shrugs, and plunks down in front of the TV. For the rest of the evening, he is withdrawn, not wanting to talk. His wife is baffled. She tried to comfort him, and now he is withdrawn from her. Actually, the answer is quite simple. Pink and blue are at it again. Pink tried to comfort. Blue was offended by her overtures. To help you understand, let's create another scene where the wife has a miscarriage. Her husband comes to her and says, Honey, it doesn't matter as long as we love one another. Some women might say, I'm talking about apples and oranges. How can I compare losing a job to losing a baby? I'm not arguing the value of what is lost here. I'm explaining how important your husband's job is to him. In his eyes, he has lost something that is extremely important. It is part of the very warp and woof of his being. This is why, in all likelihood, if you try to comfort your husband after he loses his job by saying, It's okay, honey, we have each other, it may not help much. He knows he has you. He is secure in your love. But he also identifies strongly with the fact that he is someone who works, who has a position, who has responsibilities. Where did he get this deep-seated feeling about his work? From the start, Adam enjoyed his work. To learn where husbands got this tremendous drive to work and achieve, we must go back to Genesis and the first career assignment in history. Genesis 2.15 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. Before Eve was created, God made Adam, and God made him to work. It's interesting to note that Eden was not a place with free handouts wherever Adam turned. The trees provided food, but Adam was to cultivate and keep them. God set Adam up with almost everything he needed, a beautiful place, plenty of food, and a good water supply. See Genesis 2.10. With a great job and perfect working conditions, Adam seemed to have it all. But the Lord knew something was missing. To fulfill his vocation, his call, Adam needed a woman to be his counterpart. So God made him, quote, a helper suitable for him, end of quote. Genesis 2.18. The Hebrew word for helper or helpmeet means literally a help answering to him or one who answers. In 1 Corinthians 11.9, Paul takes this thought further. Quote, for indeed man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. End of quote. My observation is that during courtship, a woman glows with a message to her man. I love you and I'm here for you. I respect what you want to do and who you want to be. I long to help you. That's what love is all about. After marriage, however, things change. Her way of helping can feel anything but respectful to her husband. From the very beginning, man was called upon to work in the field and to provide for his family. The male feels a deep need to be involved in adventure and conquest. This is not an option for him. It is a deep-seated trait. A man's first question, what do you do? The first question a man usually asks another man when they meet for the first time is, what do you do? Right or wrong? Most men identify themselves by their work. God created men to do something in the field. How deeply men value their inborn desire to work and achieve is graphically illustrated in two friends of mine who faced the threat of cancer. Both men calmly faced death and accepted what they thought would be their end. Through all the chemotherapy and accompanying problems, their optimism and faith remained strong. In the end, both men survived, but both still suffered terribly from a common foe. 
One of the men chose to sell his company to allow himself to serve God with whatever time he had left. However, for a period of time after the sale, he found he did not know who he was without his work. He told me, I was never depressed when dealing with cancer and possibly dying. But when I left my work, which was my identity, I went into a depression that was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. The other man suffered horribly and was at death's door, but somehow he too recovered. He returned to work and life was wonderful, but then he lost his job. He came to see me, depressed and defeated. He told me that being out of work was harder than dying. Ironically, both of these men were more deeply affected by losing their careers than they were with facing death due to cancer. Many women have no idea of the importance men put on their work. If a wife even implies unknowingly that her husband's work is not that important, she has just called him a loser. I can recall a friend of mine who built a very profitable business and was then approached by someone who wanted to buy him out. In his mind, there was no greater compliment because this buyout meant he would be financially secure and socially honored. To him, this meant success. The buyout finally happened, and he came home to announce the good news to his wife. She, however, was preoccupied with home and family issues. Distracted, she said, That's nice, dear, and then went on accomplishing one more of her to-do list items. This man told me later he was crushed. He said, I was so hurt I made a decision never to share things with her again. I don't endorse his decision, but I can empathize. A woman would probably be able to empathize if she could picture a reverse situation. She announces she is pregnant, and her husband, distracted by his television program, says, That's nice, dear. By way of stark contrast, here is a letter from a wife who chose to stand by her man. My husband has been going through a big struggle and has been the target of a lot of criticism and rumor. I have chosen to stand next to him and show respect and commitment in the face of the criticism and rumors. He and I have lost friendships spanning 15 to 30 years because of this struggle, but have grown closer in the process. He tells me what's going on now, shares the emails with me, etc., instead of being all closed up and quiet. God is so good to me, giving me the knowledge I need at the time I need it. Do women want to have it all? When I speak of a man's deep-seated desire to work, I am not saying women have no desire to work. Women have always worked, but generally they did so in the home with children nearby. In recent decades, women have discovered they are quite capable of going out into the workaday world and holding significant positions and making tremendous achievements. But when a wife goes out to work, the question remains, who will remain at home to care for the kids? The answer is daycare, a solution that at best is hardly ideal and at worst is severely harmful to the children. It is interesting that in the Western world, at least, women see careers as a freedom of choice issue. Women don't want to be told they have to work. They want the freedom to choose full-time mothering and or a career. Most men feel that work is not an option. Comedian Tim Allen has observed that women have all kinds of choices. They can be married with children without career. They can be married with children with career. They can be unmarried with children without career, etc., 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 but Tim Allen says men have one choice, work or go to jail. Yes, it is true that in some homes, the woman works and the man takes care of the kids. Generally speaking, however, our sons will feel they have to work in some field, but our daughters will want the freedom to choose between pregnancies and promotions. My counseling experience leads me to conclude that the typical woman is looking for a husband who is capable enough to enable her to leave the workforce if she so desires. 
As she evaluates her future with a man, she instinctively considers his ability to take care of her and the children. The good-willed woman marries for love, not for money. Nonetheless, she is very aware of the need to make a nest. She asks herself, Can he provide sufficiently to make it possible for me to stay home with my little chicks, if that's what I want to do full-time? The woman who asked this question is being wise. I hope my daughter weighs her options in this way. There is also the question of just how much a wife, who is the main breadwinner, enjoys her role. Remember the basic question that all wives have, Does he love me as much as I love him? Women are basically insecure about this. And if a wife is out there doing the providing, bringing home the money while he stays at home, her insecurity goes up, not down. She wonders, Would he even be here if it weren't for the money I make? Becoming the main provider for the family can result in the woman being attacked at her level of deepest fear. I talk to women who tell me that they thought about thanking their husbands for working. In fact, they've thought a lot about it, but never have told them. I ask them how they would feel about a man who says he thinks a lot about how much he loves his wife but never tells her. The usual response is shock or anger. What do you mean a man could live with his wife and never tell her he loves her? They can't believe it. The point is easily made. Relationships go both ways. Of course, he should tell you he loves you, but you should turn to him and say, Honey, thank you. You have to get out there and work every day. I don't know if I totally understand it, but I appreciate this. I really respect you. Watch what your husband does with that. See how he reacts. I guarantee you it will make a tremendous difference. He wants a woman who believes in him. In one of my Christian education classes in college, the question was asked, What do you want in a spouse? I remember saying, I want a woman who will believe in me. There is a parallel here between Christ and the church. Christ wants us to believe in him. And we do that to the glory of God. But in the human sense, in the marriage relationship, men do what they do for the admiration of one woman. When you fell in love and he married you, he felt that you believed in him, and he appreciated that, perhaps far more than you ever realized. It touched his spirit, because this is something huge within the male. He married you, and he thought that your cheerleading would last forever. But years later, his work appears to compete with the marriage and the family. Instead of admiring him for his work efforts, you may be feeling neglected. It's possible your husband may be in the workaholic category, and you have every reason to feel neglected. You may be tempted to feel like one wife who wrote to us to say, I've come out and said in the past that his work is more important than I am, and that it's all about him. I've said that his laptop is the other woman in our house, and I can't compete with it. Workaholism is a very real and serious problem, but I believe that if you and your husband are trying to be a love and respect couple, what he needs is support and respect for his work efforts. If he's a good-willed man who is neglecting the family by working too much, he will realize it, and you can talk it through and work it out. H. Hierarchy. Appreciate his desire to protect and provide and even die. An old saying observes, Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Ever since I've been sharing the love and respect connection around the country, I've been willing to be fool enough to use terms that are just not politically correct. One of these words is hierarchy. In some groups, women hear it and think immediately of the chauvinist mindset. The male dominates the female. It's a man's world. Men are superior and women are inferior, and on and on. I can't really blame these women, because over the centuries men have used Scripture in ignorant, abusive, and even evil ways. They have justified all kinds of terrible treatment of women, all in the name of the Bible says so. But the Bible doesn't say so. 
it says something much different from what is claimed by chauvinists. It also says something much different from what feminists purport. We mentioned the deep desire God built into man to go into the field to work and achieve. Another desire God built into the man is to protect and provide for his wife and family, and if necessary, to die for them. This desire to protect and provide, and even die, is part of the warp and woof of a man. An obvious example is life insurance. In the United States alone, billions upon billions are spent on life insurance premiums, bought mostly by men. Why? Because of their instinct to provide. They feel a sense of security and restfulness knowing their families will be taken care of if they die. What is the real meaning of biblical hierarchy? Some women tell me, all that may be well and good, but how does a man's willingness to protect and provide for me place him above me in some kind of hierarchy? Over the years, I've talked to many a wife who is so controlled by her fear of her husband's headship that she overreacts by habitually showing contempt and verbally abusing him. I believe, however, that when a woman understands hierarchy from a true biblical point of view, it relieves most, if not all, of her fears. The passage that spells out biblical hierarchy is Ephesians 5:22 through 24. Quote, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. End of quote. In some translations, the words be subject to are translated submit. The Greek word here is hupotasso, a compound word that means to rank under or place under. God is not giving husbands some carte blanche label of superior. He is giving husbands a tremendous responsibility. As Paul clearly points out in the next few verses, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Verses 25 through 27. Here the responsibilities of being head are clearly spelled out. The husband is given the awesome responsibility to love his wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is why the good-willed husband who understands this passage sees it as his duty to protect his wife. At the same time, the wife is called upon to place herself under that protection. This is the biblical definition of hierarchy. It is not male superiority for the sake of putting down the female. It is the male's responsibility to place himself over the female and protect her. How this works out in the interplay between husband and wife in a marriage can take some interesting turns. One wife wrote, Over the years when I would drive on ice and start to slide, I'd slam on the brakes. He'd tell me to let off the brakes. The other day I was driving alone and hit ice. Starting to slide, I hit the brakes, and in my mind I heard his voice, Let off the brakes. It saved my life. I realized from your conference that his counsel to me was for my protection. His firmness with me was rooted in his protective role. So I came home and told him, You saved my life. I praised him and sought to honor him. Before, I just felt it was a put-down, and that wasn't his motive at all. Will the concept of biblical hierarchy lead to abuse? Will a man take advantage of being head of the family by putting down and even abusing his wife and children? Yes, this is possible. But because it is possible does not mean a woman should refuse to allow her husband to be the head. If a husband is evil-willed, the abuse will happen anyway, no matter what the family structure is. Any hierarchical role given to him has nothing to do with the abuse. 
the evil-willed man always treats those around him abusively. If a man is good-willed, his wife's respect and his hierarchical position will not cause him to abuse, because that's not in his nature. He will not use his position as chair of the family against those he is to love and protect. Paul versus Today's Culture In Ephesians 5, Paul lays out the ideal marriage relationship. The wife is subject to her husband and under his protection. The husband loves his wife and would be willing to die for her. The last thing he would ever want to do is take advantage of her, put her down, or treat her as an inferior of any kind. Most of the wives I've counseled agree with this ideal picture to a point. As one wife said, I want him to be the head. I just want to know he has my needs in his heart. When most wives say they want their husbands to be the head, they mean not too much and not too little, but just right. The evangelical wife doesn't balk at the biblical teaching. She balks at the extremes to which a husband might take it. She does not want him to dominate her, and at the same time, she doesn't want her husband to have to depend on her either. As usual, however, the pressures of the secular culture in which Christian families live often cause confusion and contradiction. Often both spouses have to work just to keep the bills paid. In many cases, the wife makes as much as the husband and sometimes more. This is a tremendous bargaining chip that tempts her to think she isn't being treated as equal enough. In today's fast-moving, dual-income households, it's easy for the concept of headship and wifely submission to start feeling old-fashioned and out of date. The problem many women have today, including Christian wives, is they want to be treated like a princess, but deep down they resist treating their husbands like the king. They aren't willing to recognize that in the depth of his very soul, a husband wants to be the one who provides and protects. He wants to be an umbrella protection who would willingly die for his wife if need be. Sarah and I had just finished a love and respect conference when a couple came up and told us a story. It seems they had just built a brand new home, and another couple asked if they could take a tour. The new homeowner said, Of course, come on over. Soon they were taking the couple through the beautiful new home, which had every feature imaginable, lovely fixtures, granite countertops. They had spared no expense. Halfway through the tour, as they were coming down the steps from looking at all the upstairs bedrooms and the many adjoining baths, the wife and the visiting couple turned to her husband and said, You need to get a second job. The couple giving the tour of their home were stunned by the woman's remark. They both could see the spirit of the husband sinking before their very eyes. The visiting couple left a few minutes later. What is doubly sad about this story is that the wife who made the remark to her husband about needing a second job probably didn't even realize what she had done. She was simply commenting on the grandeur of the home they were touring and never thought that what she was saying would hurt her husband's feelings. But hurt them she did, because she just didn't understand her husband or the need to show him respect. It's not a bad rule for a wife to always ask herself, is what I'm about to say or do going to come across to him as respectful or disrespectful? Showing Respect by Candlelight There are many ways to show your husband respect. Just look for ways to appreciate his desire to protect and provide, especially when things aren't going well for him. Dr. E. V. Hill, a dynamic minister who served as senior pastor of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, lost his wife Jane to cancer a few years ago. At her funeral, Dr. Hill described some of the ways she had made him a better man. As a struggling young preacher, Evie had trouble earning a living. Evie came home one night and found the house dark. When he opened the door, he saw that Jane had prepared a candlelight dinner for two. He thought that was a great idea and went into the bathroom to wash his hands. He tried unsuccessfully to turn on the light. Then he felt his way into the bedroom and flipped another switch. Darkness prevailed. 
The young pastor went back to the dining room and asked Jane why the electricity was off. She began to cry. You work so hard and, and we're trying, said Jane, but it's pretty rough. I didn't have enough money to pay the light bill. I didn't want you to know about it, so I, I thought we would just eat by candlelight. Dr. Hill described his wife's words with intense emotion. She could have said, I've never been in this situation before. I was reared in the home of Dr. Carruthers, and we never had our lights cut off. She could have broken my spirit. She could have ruined me. She could have demoralized me. But instead, she said, somehow or other, we'll get these lights back on. But tonight, let's eat by candlelight. This poignant story is a case study on how a wife should appreciate her husband's desire to protect and provide. It is likely Mrs. Hill didn't have a complete definition of biblical hierarchy in mind when she lit those candles, but she instinctively knew how to support her husband and appreciate his desire to protect and provide. A. Authority. Appreciate his desire to serve and to lead. It was question and answer time in one of our love and respect conferences, and the topic was the husband's authority in the home. An eager young wife said, I want him to be the head. I want him to be the leader. I just want to make sure that he makes decisions in keeping with what I want. The room broke into laughter. Men as well as women, perhaps a lot of the men present knew exactly what she was talking about. The gale turned beat red. She had made the comment in all innocence. She wasn't being belligerent or malicious or trying to demand a right. She was being honest. I had to chuckle a little myself. Her innocent remark reminded me of a story I chose not to share at that moment because I wanted to spare her more embarrassment. It seems a couple got married and decided that he would make all the major decisions and she would make all the minor decisions. After 20 years, he realized that there had not been one major decision yet. Who's the boss at your house? In today's feminist-dominated culture, the question of who's the boss can be a source of humor or of conflict. Many men have been cowed by the feminist argument that men and women are totally equal, and husbands don't have any more authority than their wives do. But for the Christian couple, the question is, what does the Bible teach about who has authority in the home? We've already seen that Paul lays out the biblical hierarchy of the home. The man is the head, and the wife is to be subject to him, Ephesians 5:22 and 23. And we have seen that the good-willed husband does not try to use his position of head as some kind of club to beat down his wife and his children. He acts responsibly and lovingly to be the leader that God has asked him to be. Nonetheless, the subject of male headship and authority is a sensitive one. The young woman who said her husband is to be the head and make the decisions as long as his decisions met with her approval is not alone. Many wives feel the same way. In fact, Many wives would tell you that they are better decision-makers than their husbands, and they often are. They have better judgment than their husbands on many fronts. Yet they are stuck with this concept of having to defer to their husbands and let them be the boss. A wife who runs her own business and admits she has a strong personality struggles with submitting to a husband who is not much of an encourager. She realizes the issue is really between her and God, and she knows that if she could trust the Lord, quote, it would be so much more peaceful. Wow, why is it so hard to lay it down? I can see it, and I believe it, but I'm not doing it. I hear my daughter, who is 15, talk about never getting married because she will never submit to a man, and I feel very ashamed. We are having a lot of good talks about this stuff, but of course more is caught than taught, and I want to get it right. So anyhow, I'm going to keep at it, and by God's grace get it right, and try not to strangle my husband in the process. End of quote.
Does Scripture teach mutual submission? Many Christian wives are uneasy with subjects like headship and authority. When Paul pins lines like Ephesians 5:22 and 23, he sounds hopelessly sexist, especially to women who have domineering husbands. And it doesn't help any when he adds in 1 Timothy 2:12, quote, I do not allow a woman to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet, end of quote. In recent years, there has been a movement in the church among some scholars and teachers to suggest that the Bible talks about mutual submission, that is, that men and women are to be equally subject to one another. The text that is used for this position is Ephesians 5.21, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. According to the mutual submission point of view, Ephesians 5.21 means that every Christian should be subject to every other Christian, and wives and husbands especially should be subject to one another. The idea behind mutual submission in this sense is that the wife does not owe submission of any unique kind to her husband. But if this is true, it is hard to explain Ephesians 5.22 where wives are clearly told to, quote, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, end of quote. As I mentioned, the Greek word for submit is hupotasso, which means to rank under or place under. As a wife places herself under her husband's protection and provision, there will come moments when disagreements arise. Honest stalemates can still happen. If a decision must be made, the wife is called upon to defer to her husband, trusting God to guide her husband to make a decision out of love for her as the responsible head of the marriage. What then did Paul mean when he said Christians should submit to one another? For husbands and wives, I believe the answer is found in love and respect. If husband and wife have a conflict over how to spend money, for example, the husband submits to his wife by meeting her need to feel that he loves her in spite of the conflict. He submits to her need for love. See Ephesians 5:21 and 25. On the other side, the wife submits to her husband during a conflict by meeting her husband's need to feel that she respects him in spite of the unresolved issue. She submits to his need for respect. Ephesians 5:21 and 22 and verse 33. Note that Paul and Peter both begin their discussions of marriage by speaking of submission. Ephesians 5:22 and 1 Peter 3:1 but they end their discussion by speaking of respect. See Ephesians 5.33 and 1 Peter 3.2. The bottom line is that if husband and wife approach each other with the love and respect connection in mind, all will be well in the marriage, even if a decision appears to be stalemated. As we have seen so far, there is much a husband and wife can do to mutually submit to one another through love and respect. But when somebody has to call the shots, the husband is responsible to do it. How should a wife act if she strongly disagrees with her husband about some issue? 1 Timothy 2.12 has some advice. Paul writes, quote, I do not allow a woman to exercise authority over a man but to remain quiet, end of quote. Now, if Paul ever penned a sexist line, this would seem to be it. But the Bible is not sexist. The Bible is sharing what the Hebrew mind understood about wisdom and real empowerment. As discussed in Part 1, Women can win their husbands without a word through their chaste and respectful behavior. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Is Peter saying that women are insignificant? Of course not. What he is saying is that your quiet and gentle spirit will melt your man's heart. If you're in a conflict and you remain respectful and quiet as you distance yourself a bit instead of preaching, lecturing, or criticizing, what will he do? Well, it depends. If your quietness is the right kind of quietness, respectful and dignified, not pouty and sour, he will move toward you. He will want to comfort you and take care of you. In essence, he will want to show you love. For the good-willed husband, the wife's quiet and respectful behavior will act as a magnet. Feminists say the Bible puts down women. 
Actually, the Bible holds up women and gives them advice on how to realize their fondest desires. You don't have to fight. You don't have to push and push and struggle to understand him as you try to move closer only to have him coldly move away. There is another way to get his love, and the Bible tells you what it is. Your quiet and respectful behavior will win him. This is the key to empowerment. You get what you want by giving him what he wants. Authority must come with responsibility. What your husband wants is your acknowledgement that he is the leader, the one in authority. This is not to grind you under or treat you as an inferior. It is only to say that because God has made your husband responsible, review Ephesians 5.25-33, through 33, he needs the authority to carry out that responsibility. I call that Leadership 101. If you give someone the primary responsibility, they must have commensurate authority. No smoothly running organization can have two heads. To set up a marriage with two equals at the head is to set it up for failure. That is one of the big reasons that people are divorcing right and left today. In essence, these marriages do not have anyone who is in charge. God knew someone had to be in charge, and that is why Scripture clearly teaches, in order for things to work, the wife is called upon to defer to her husband. Wives often tell me that if they submit to their husbands, it means burying their brains and becoming a doormat. If you want to work with your husband to reach mutually satisfying decisions most of the time, follow this principle. Go on record with your husband that you see him as having 51% of the responsibility, and therefore 51% of the authority. Tell him that you see him as having more authority because he has more responsibility before God. This is very important, the responsibility to die for you if necessary. My prediction is that the nature of your arguments and disagreements will change dramatically. Once you go on record about his authority, he will not feel you're trying to be the boss. As you submit, which simply means recognizing his biblically given authority, you will not be a doormat. In fact, you will get your way far more often than you would if you stood up for your rights, which usually means being disrespectful. Our secular feminist culture likes to argue that men are dominant in the home. And it's true that some are. More often, however, among goodwill couples, if there are 100 decisions over a three-month period related to the family, the wife will have a strong opinion on 99 of them, and her opinion will usually be respected and have strong influence. Unfortunately, in many marriages, either spouse may have goodwill but not always have good sense. A man can run roughshod. A wife can come across as too forceful and coercive in the home. She isn't this way outside the home, but within the family with him she gets aggressive. Another positive strategy for many a wife would be to defer more to her husband. I often hear many wives complain that their husbands are too disconnected and passive on family matters. But why is he passive? Quite likely in the past, every time he tried to step up to the plate, she had a better idea. After a while, he just let her have her way. If this could be your problem, submission, respect, and quietness will engage your husband and draw him out. Appreciating and respecting your husband's desire to serve you and lead the family takes faith, courage, and strength in your part. But I predict it will work. As one wife told me, The picture-perfect marriage in my mind is not necessarily the one that God has intended for me. I finally realized that when I submit to God's control and stop trying to orchestrate my ideas, everything falls into place. Grant your husband authority as Scripture describes it, and things are much more likely to fall into place. Insight, the letter I. Appreciate his desire to analyze and counsel. 
She had little or no respect for her husband. Behind his back, she constantly put him down, mocking him and making fun of his ideas and opinions. One day while shopping, she thought it would be interesting to stop at his office just to see where and how he worked. She called him on her cell phone, and he said, Well, sure, I'm a little busy, but come on up. When she got there, he was indeed busy, and she had to wait a few minutes as he dealt with various people. From where she sat, she couldn't help but see that her husband's co-workers gave him high respect. So did his boss and his attractive young secretary. Then an older man came to her husband's desk, obviously someone who was more experienced with the company, but who still worked under him. She didn't exactly know why, but her stomach churned a little when she heard the older man say to her husband, Yes, sir. Then his secretary came by to give him some papers, and she felt shame and a little fear as she saw how this classy young woman looked up to her husband and admired him. Finally, she had a chance to visit her husband, but she quickly cut it short, said goodbye, and told him she would see him that evening. She made it to the car, got in, and burst into tears. She thought of all the times she had put him down and made fun of him behind his back, and then it hit her. She didn't disrespect him because of his actions toward her or because he was a lousy husband. She realized the real problem was that he wasn't what she wanted him to be. This woman had been missing at least two things about her husband. One, he had a lot of ability and insight she was ignoring to her loss, and two, he wanted the same kind of respect at home that he received at work. This kind of wife is not unique. I've talked to many just like her. She thinks her husband has little to teach her, little wisdom to share about much of anything. After all, she believes she is the one who has to run the house, raise the children, and make the decisions. When this kind of wife attends one of our love and respect conferences or reads some of our materials, it is not unusual for the scales of disrespect to fall from her eyes. Here is one testimony from a wife who finally got it. I've longed for a relational intimacy in my marriage for 23 years. Little did I know that my lack of respect was sabotaging that desire. I had serious arrogance problems, thinking my ways were right and not acknowledging his ideas as worthy of consideration. I thought I was helping my inept husband. It was quite amazing once the Lord nailed me. Without me spouting my opinion and giving him room to dare to share his, amazing things began to occur. He began to reveal his heart. We actually have conversations rather than monologues. My love and respect for him skyrocketed. In return, he has begun to blossom into the man I always hoped he would be. I no longer believe totally in womanly intuition. In the words of the woman quoted above, I hear something that counters beliefs I used to hold. One belief was that the vast majority of men were opinionated, one-sided, and inattentive. The other belief that I no longer hold is in the exclusive and unique power of womanly intuition. For twenty years I preach, men listen to the intuition of your wives. God will speak to them in a way that he doesn't speak to you because you have blind spots. God will teach you through your wives. Everything I preached was to get men to honor and love their wives. But I began to realize I was tipping the scales too far. It's true that women have intuition and that men should listen to them. It is also true that women have blind spots and need the insight of their husbands. As another wife admitted, he has lived our whole marriage in fear that he wouldn't say or do something the right way. Since my way was the only right way, and whatever he did or thought wasn't good enough, he just shut down. It was Eve, not Adam, who was deceived. The wife who thinks she has to provide the answers and do all the thinking should take a careful look at Scripture. We all know the story of the Garden of Eden. God told Adam he could eat of any tree in the garden but one. Eat of that tree, and quote, you will surely die, end of quote, Genesis 2.17. 
Later, when Eve was created, Adam told her of God's command. But when the serpent found Eve alone and tempted her with, in essence, the subtle question, quote, did God really say that? End of quote. She couldn't resist. The fruit on that tree looked delightful, and it was guaranteed to make her wise. Totally deceived, Eve ate some of the fruit. Then Adam came up, or perhaps she went and found him. Eve gave Adam some of the fruit, and he ate as well. Genesis 3, 1-6. Was Adam deceived also? Scripture does not say he was deceived, but that he is the one who disobeyed. He is the one through whom the whole world fell into sin. See Romans 5, verses 12-19. Adam had the insight to realize that he shouldn't eat the fruit, but he went ahead and did so anyway. Was this the first case of a husband being led by his wife with a ring in his nose? Or did Adam simply not want to let Eve get ahead of him by having knowledge that he would not have? No one can say for sure. Paul sums it up in 1 Timothy 2.14 when he discusses the role of women in the church. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Apparently, Eve concluded that she knew far more about what was best for her and her husband, and she influenced him to follow her lead. Adam, quote, listened to the voice of his wife, end of quote, and was cursed. See Genesis 3, verses 14 through 19. A marriage needs her intuition and his insight. When Paul talks about Eve being the one who was deceived by the serpent's craftiness, see 1 Timothy 2.14 and also 2 Corinthians 11.3, he is not spewing chauvinist put-downs of women, as feminists might claim. There is a deep truth here, and we need to reflect on it. Yes, men should listen to their wives, who are naturally intuitive. But wives should not fail to appreciate the insight God has given their husbands and reject their counsel. Instead of listening to Adam's voice, Eve orchestrated things and got Adam to listen to her, even though he knew better. How does this apply to marriages today? Are wives taking over and becoming the primary voice in the marriage? Not necessarily. But there's always that danger. What I'm calling for is a return to the biblical balance. Husbands and wives need each other. For wives who are willing to evaluate just where they are in the scale of showing unconditional respect for their husbands, I have two questions. One, could you be thinking too highly of your natural discernment and intuition? Two, is it possible that you might be deceived on certain fronts and that you could use your husband's insight because you don't see what he sees? All of us can be deceived, but women need to think about some areas where the serpent is subtly deceiving them even today. One such area involves the criticisms that many wives voice about how their husbands fail to give spiritual leadership to the family. As I've counseled couples over the years, I've listened to many wives share their strong convictions about what their husbands ought to be doing as spiritual leaders. I also receive many letters from women on his lack of spiritual leadership. Here are some representative examples. I want to respect my husband who, while loving me and our children, leaves all the work, planning, teaching, etc. to me without discussing it. He earns money and comes home to play with us. He leads in family devotions, but does not discuss spiritual matters with our children individually or with me. I feel I have five children. One just happens to be an adult. How do I respect him when he makes me the leader by default? Or, woman writes, I recognize that after six and a half years of marriage, the biggest ache I have with my husband is his lack of spiritual leadership in our relationship and family. 
I want so desperately to see my husband making time for the Lord and really pursuing Him. I want to see him praying and seeking God's direction for his life. I want to know that he's fellowshipping with the Lord. I could write more, but I think you get the idea. If as a wife you have such convictions, I cannot say if you're right or wrong. But what I can say is that if you are judging your husband with contempt, you are hurting God's heart. Your convictions can please God, but your contempt can also grieve him. The Lord loves you and knows the longing of your heart. Abba Father weeps with you about your convictions. But your Heavenly Father is also revealing to you that a contemptuous, critical spirit is not the way to win over a disobedient husband to your convictions. He gently urges you to maintain respectful behavior, 1 Peter 3, 2, even while your heart hurts over unfulfilled convictions. For the wife who isn't happy with her husband's leadership, here are some questions to ask yourself. Did my husband ever seek to lead in our marriage, but I differed because I felt it was stupid? Do I send him a message that I do not intend to follow him if he makes a decision contrary to what I believe is correct? Do I send a message that says, I want you to lead, but only when it bolsters and carries out my desires? Do I want my husband to be responsible, but if he is irresponsible, in my opinion, am I exercising veto power? Do my words and actions communicate, you are responsible, but I have the final authority? The above questions can be applied to all areas of leadership in the home. Perhaps they all boil down to this. Ask yourself if you may possibly have an attitude of self-righteousness, at least to some degree. I'm not saying you are malicious. I know you're not. You love your husband very much, but you see his faults and mistakes. You may well believe, as many women do, that you are a better person than he is, and that he needs to change. What I see happening in some marriages is that the wife believes, or appears to believe, that she does not sin. In many other marriages, the only sin that a wife will readily admit to is her negative reaction to her husband's failure to be loving or for losing patience with the children. Beyond these areas, women do not see themselves as sinning, even though they readily admit bad habits and wrong attitudes. They tend to write these off to chemical imbalance, hormonal problems, or dysfunction due to family of origin. In many marriages, it is all too easy for a wife to write off a husband's insight and suggestions because she thinks she doesn't need them or he has no right to give them. But I believe husband and wife together need to examine any situation where something is amiss and try to come to a solution or, if needed, seek godly counsel. Through the years, people have readily confessed to me, for instance, that they took medication to escape an unresolved interpersonal issue. They admitted that they knew there was nothing wrong with their biology. To them, it was a classic case of avoidance, and medication made it easier for them. A pastor's wife recently approached me in tears to admit that this was precisely her problem. Are you trying to be your husband's Holy Spirit? Another thing I share in conferences is that most husbands see themselves as unrighteous and their wives as righteous. This misperception is inaccurate enough, but then there comes that point in the marriage when the wife also sees her husband as unrighteous. Because she is the one who constantly seems to have to be on top of things, such as correcting the children and him, she slips into an attitude of self-righteousness without realizing it. It is often subconscious, but a subtle judgmental spirit comes over a woman. Many women have admitted to me, I've got to stop being my husband's Holy Spirit. I agree with them because there's no vacancy in the Trinity. However, I never hear men saying, I've got to stop being my wife's Holy Spirit. For a biblical model, let us go to the scene where Jesus visits the home of Martha and Mary. Martha has become overworked and anxious because of all the preparations she is making for dinner. 
she says to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Luke 10, verse 40. Martha is not asking a question here. She is stating what she believes to be a fact. She is looking into the eyes of love itself and calling him unaware and uncaring, because he doesn't seem to be interested in what she thinks is important. Instead of sharply correcting Martha, Jesus lovingly rebukes her for being worried and upset while she missed what was truly important, fellowship with him. Much more could be said about this account. I preach many sermons on it. But the point here is that Martha was wrong. She was seeing the world through her particular brand of pink sunglasses, and she was making wrong assessments. The question is, could you be wrong at times for some of the same reasons? And could your husband be trying to help you instead of simply being critical and uncaring? The bottom line to appreciating a man's desire to analyze and counsel is to realize he does have insight and to be aware of any self-righteousness that might undermine his insight. Self-righteousness can deceive you more than any other sin. If you see yourself as far better than your husband, especially in the spiritual realm, he will back away from you spiritually and probably in many other ways. As the years pass, your husband will stop giving advice at almost every level. What can he say to a person who is always right and righteous? What can he say to a wife who views him with contempt? He sees himself with all the problems, while she has none. So he grows silent, fearing more censure. Aware of his silence, a wife often says, Why are you always quiet? And he winds up thinking, If I say something, I'm in trouble. If I don't say something, I'm in trouble. But if I don't say something, I'm in less trouble. That's a sad commentary. But that's what a lot of men are thinking. Relationship are appreciating his desire for shoulder-to-shoulder friendship. They had been married for just seven years when they came to me for help because they kept getting into what they called huge fights. How did the fights start, I asked. She explained that she would be in the kitchen cleaning or perhaps ironing, and he would call her from the room where he was reading the paper or watching TV. Honey, why don't you come in here and be with me? Thinking this was an opportunity to relate, she would go to her husband and start talking to him. He would tell her, No, no, don't talk. I just want you in here with me. Confused, she would say, But you called me in here. You must want to talk. No, I just want you in here. I don't want to talk. But you must have something you want to talk about. You called me in here. At this point, things went downhill fast. And in no time, they were in a huge verbal battle. This scenario was happening over and over. And they wanted to know how I could fix it. Commenting that I don't fix marriages, but I try to explain what's going on in them, I told the wife, as the husband listened attentively, that he was energized merely by her presence. Then I commented, if he is reading the paper, watching TV, or even working outside on some chores in the yard, if you'll just sit there next to him or pull up a chair and watch while he works, you will see the most amazing energy flow into him. I noted the puzzled look on the wife's face. I continued, this is how men communicate by sharing experiences. Women share experiences by talking about them to each other, examining and fusing the experiences with their impressions and emotions. Men are a bit different. They share their experiences by sharing an activity. This is what your husband wants to do with you. As our session ended that day, I told the couple that I was giving a love and respect conference in one of the churches in town and suggested they attend to get the full picture of how the love and respect connection really works. They did so, and when they came to see me again, the wife had totally gotten it about why her husband wanted her to be with him. You were right, she said. It almost drove me crazy at first not to talk, but for some strange reason it works. He really wants me just to sit there with him.
How can doing nothing build a relationship? When your husband says, Hey, honey, come in here and watch the Discovery Channel with me, what happens? You come in and sit down, and he indeed does watch Discovery Channel, possibly commenting now and then about the size of those elk or look at the teeth on that crocodile. But most of the time, he's fully absorbed in what he's doing, watching TV. If you are a typical wife, you will sit there thinking, I've got laundry to fold, I have to make dinner, the kids' lunches for tomorrow still aren't packed. Eventually, you'll get up and walk away because you need to do all those things. And besides, you and your husband aren't really doing anything anyway. He's just watching TV with you sitting there beside him. You're not communicating. So how could this be building the relationship? But wives continue to report that this is exactly what happens. One wife decided to go deer hunting with her husband, who uses the bow and arrow. She helped him set up the blind, and they both sat there for hours waiting for a deer to happen by. They saw nothing, they shot at nothing, and they said nothing. Finally, they took down the blind and headed back to the car. To this point, she had said not one word the entire time. As they were walking down the trail, her husband turned to her and said, This was awesome! Does Scripture speak of this need for both love and friendship? In Song of Solomon, where the main theme is passionate, ache all over love, the Lord takes time in chapter 5 to say to the couple, quote, Eat, friends, drink and imbibe deeply, O lovers. End of quote. Then later in the same chapter, as the wife recounts how fine and dazzling her husband is, quote, outstanding among ten thousand, she completes her litany of praise by saying, quote, This is my beloved, and this is my friend. Verse 16. The New Testament also makes provision for friendship in a marriage relationship. The Greek word phileo refers to brotherly or friendship love. In Titus 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul says older women, who have been around the block and are aware of what a husband is like, should teach the younger women to phileo their husbands, that is, to be friendly to them. For a while there, Sarah wasn't friendly. Earlier I mentioned that I've often asked husbands if their wives love them, and they quickly reply, yes, of course. But when I ask them if their wives like them, often the answer is no or I'm not sure. I empathized because there was a time in my own marriage when I felt much the same way. As Sarah will readily admit, she recalls this time of tension between us and realizes that she'd grown very negative, trying to change everyone to conform to her standards, particularly of neatness. She complained about every crumb on the counter, every shoe on the floor, every wet towel left on a bed, every candy wrapper that missed the wastebasket. She was trying to help all of us, especially me and my two sons, to realize we would be happier if we were neater and more organized. Frankly, it wasn't working too well. It so happened that Sarah decided to take a trip to another city to see her mother, and she took along her daughter, Joy. I stayed home with our two sons, Jonathan and David. A week went by, and Sarah and Joy returned from their trip. When I picked them up at the airport, her first question was, Well, how was your time? I replied, Oh, it was good. Did you miss me? She wanted to know. I couldn't lie, so I said, You know, we had a wonderful time. We just ate where we wanted to eat. We made forts when we wanted to make forts. We made the beds when we wanted to make the beds. Sarah got the message. She realized that we had made the beds for the first time that week just before coming to the airport. And she also realized that we really hadn't missed her that much. Oh, we still loved her as wife and mother, but we hadn't missed all the badgering and criticizing. Right there, Sarah made a choice that she would like me and our sons despite our sloppiness. She realized we had gotten married because we liked each other. We were friends and she knew she needed to be friendly as well as loving. Spend time together, stay together. Is putting up with this strange male quirk worth it? I can remember that as a boy growing up in Peoria, Illinois, I would often ride my bike up and down the street, 
I can recall one couple I would see often as I rode by. He'd be working under his car in the driveway, and she'd be out there sitting on a stool, smoking a cigarette, doing her nails, or just chewing gum. There was no other woman around. He was under the car, and she was saying nothing while he worked. For some reason, I always remembered that couple. In fact, years later, as I thought about them, I realized something. Many couples on our block divorced, but this couple never did. Somehow she understood that just sitting there with him and saying nothing while he worked was a positive thing. She bonded with him, even though they weren't talking. I have counseled many couples who have not had a good heart-to-heart -heart exchange for decades. What can a wife do? Try seeing his need for shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder friendship. If he has closed you off and gone quiet, the way to draw him out is by simply being with him during some activity. Don't talk. Just be with him. Do this over a twelve-week period and watch what happens. I can almost guarantee he'll start talking. Will he necessarily look at you face to face? Probably not. Will he talk for a long time at first? Probably not. Will you be energized by this? Probably not. Will he be energized by this? Yes. Sexuality Appreciate his desire for sexual intimacy. The doctor and his wife did not have a happy marriage. They were on a crazy cycle and it centered on her ultimatum, which she had laid down several years before. She would not respond to him sexually until he met her emotional needs. She wanted emotional release. She wanted him to talk to her face to face, and until he met her emotional needs, she wouldn't respond to him sexually. After all, that's what love was all about, wasn't it? Then, through a series of events, the Lord spoke to her and said, Who is supposed to be the mature one here? He is a new believer, and you've been in Christ for many years. She got the message. She decided to minister to her husband sexually, not because she particularly wanted to, but because she wanted to do it as unto Jesus Christ. She didn't have that need for sex. It wasn't within her. But she realized that this was her husband's need, and the Lord had spoken to her about meeting his need first. So she said, All right, Lord, I will serve him, and I will meet that need gladly. And she proceeded to do so. So what happened? Did her need for emotional release and talking face to face ever get met? She reported back to me, when we lay there in bed afterward, I couldn't get him to shut up. They kicked the devil out of bed. This couple, who had been so unhappy for so many years because they had been in a lose-lose standoff, suddenly found a win-win situation. As she met his physical need, he reached out to meet her emotional need. Someone has said, just as the devil will do everything he can to bring two people together sexually before marriage, he does everything he can to keep them away from each other after marriage. This couple defeated the devil soundly. You might say they kicked him out of bed. During counseling, a wife told me that she thought sex was man's number one need. I responded that sex is symbolic of his deeper need, respect. By way of analogy, a wife needs emotional release through talking. When that need is met, she feels loved. When a man refuses to talk, that symbolizes to her that he does not love her or care about her need. A husband has a need for physical release through sexual intimacy. When a wife refuses, that symbolizes to him that she does not care about him and does not respect him and his need. A wife also needs to think about how unfair it is to say to her husband, Have eyes only for me, and continually turn him down when he approaches her sexually. As a wife, you spell respect to your husband when you appreciate his sexual desire for you. Two Keys to Understanding Your Husband there are two aspects to understanding your husband sexually. First, realize that his sexuality is much different from yours. Proverbs 5.19 says, 
Quote, as a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times, be exhilarated always with her love. End of quote. It is no coincidence that there is no Bible verse commanding a woman to be satisfied with her husband's breasts at all times. That's a ridiculous statement. But why is it ridiculous? Proverbs 5.19 is speaking to the fact that a man is visually oriented when it comes to sexual desire. He sees a beautiful woman, her face and her figure, and he is stimulated. Women are not visually oriented when it comes to sex, at least not to the degree that men are. The second aspect of being able to appreciate your husband's sexual desire for you is that he needs sexual release just as you need emotional release or intimacy. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5, Paul writes, quote, Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. End of quote. When it comes to our sexuality, both husband and wife need to meet each other's needs. Paul says each is to fulfill his or her duty to the other. Husbands particularly can come under satanic attack when deprived of sexual release. Wives might be able to better understand this if they think about how they would feel if their husbands didn't want to talk or listen to them. Being deprived of emotional release would make most women miserable. A young woman told the following story to Sarah after one of our conference sessions. Every Sunday, she and her husband would visit her parents. But one Sunday morning, she called her mother and said, We're not coming. The mother asked, Why not? Well, because my honey's in a twit, the daughter said. Well, why? inquired the mother. I suppose because we've not been sexually intimate for seven days. Mom did not hesitate. Gently but firmly, she let her daughter have it. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Why would you deprive him of something that takes such a short amount of time and makes him so happy? Embarrassed, the daughter shouted into the phone, Mother, I can't believe you said that. But as the young woman finished relating the story to Sarah, she added, My mom has been married for 47 years, and I don't know anyone who has a happier marriage. This mother gave her daughter good advice indeed. Sadly, many couples revolve on the crazy cycle because without sex he feels disrespected and reacts in an unloving twit, and she dismisses him as childish. Round and round they go. But it doesn't have to be. Sarah says it best in our marriage conferences. Wives, what if your husband didn't talk to you for three days, three weeks, or three months? You would think that abominable. I think you get my point. Some wives want their emotional needs met after marriage, but somehow lose sight of their husband's sexual needs. Remember, too, your son will have the same need. How do you want your daughter-in-law to treat him? Your son didn't ask to be made this way any more than your daughter or daughter-in-law asked to be made with the need to talk intimately on a regular basis. A dose of respect beats a dose of Viagra any day. Being trapped by an adulteress is precisely what happened to the husband of a woman who wrote to me after she figured out why he had an affair. She realized that her husband had been craving admiration just as she craved love from him. He was ripe for having an admiring woman tempt him, and that's exactly what happened in his workplace. Even though they had enjoyed what people thought was a perfect marriage for more than 20 years, four teenage children, active in the church, successful business, etc., he strayed. They separated for a while, but then the wife realized, I had become so busy with life, kids, etc., that I had forsaken my husband in this area and left him vulnerable to attack from the enemy. He said he had been craving something, but he didn't know what it was until she began to give him what he was craving. His need for this was so strong that at one point during our separation he was willing to give up everything, marriage, family, business, reputation, even his relationship with the Lord, 
just to continue feeling the respect and admiration he was receiving from this other woman. He had an extremely intense spiritual battle during this time because he knew what the right thing was to do, but he did not want to give up what he was receiving from her. God is helping me see my part in the breakdown of our marriage. My husband is a good-willed man, and I know that he loves me, and he knows that I love him. The letter went on to say that she had tried the respect test with amazing results. She started speaking with great respect to her husband, and he immediately responded by telling her how much it turned him on to hear her say those respectful things. In fact, she relates, We immediately shared a very intimate sexual experience. It seems that a dose of respect beats a dose of Viagra any day. If he loves me, how can he be tempted by other women? Sexuality often becomes the reason that couples are not as close as they could be, but it manifests itself in ways you might not suspect. Men may want to be open with their wives, but when they want to be open on topics that threaten rather than increase feelings of love, some women grow uncomfortable if not downright upset. A wife may be wondering why her husband isn't more open when the truth is she told him many years ago not to be. Simply put, a man is responsive to what he sees. He needs his wife's understanding of his struggles. If he wanted to be untrue to her, he would never allude to this problem at all. A wife longs to receive her husband's closeness, openness, and understanding. You can achieve this in two ways. One, do your best to give him the sexual release he needs, even if on some occasions you aren't in the mood. Or two, let him know you are trying to comprehend that he is tempted sexually in ways you don't understand. As you allow him to talk about his struggles, you have all the more opportunity to be his friend as well as his lover. If your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. When you shame him, punish him, or deprive him, he feels dishonored for who he is. If your husband feels you do not respect his struggle, his desire for you, and his maleness, he'll pull back from you. But he needs you. You knew that before marriage. As you recognize his need and seek to meet it, you will find him reaching out to meet yours. The energizing cycle will work if you do. How does a husband spell love to his wife? As we have seen, love to wives is spelled couple, C-O-U-P-L-E. Following is a brief review of these six concepts. If a husband memorizes and uses even one or two of them each day, he will do his part in keeping the energizing cycle going. Husbands should ask themselves these questions. One, closeness. Am I always remembering to move toward her and accept her need to talk and connect with me to be reassured of my love? 2. Openness. Do I share my thoughts with her, and am I sure I'm not resisting her efforts to draw me out? 3. Understanding. Am I careful not to try to fix her every time she talks about one of her concerns or problems? Am I remembering that she is an integrated personality, and whatever happens affects all of her, especially her emotions? 4. Peacemaking. Am I always willing to resolve issues, and am I careful to never say, let's just drop it and move on? 5. Loyalty. Do I constantly look for ways to tell her that I will be loyal to her forever? That she's the one love of my life, the only woman for me? 6. Esteem. Do I always let her know that I treasure her and put highest value on her as a person? Do I let her know that what she does and thinks are important to me? Does she know I couldn't possibly do without her? How does a wife spell respect for her husband? A wife spells respect for her husband, chairs, C-H-A-I-R-S, and uses these six concepts to let him know how important and vital he is to her. Wives should ask themselves these questions. 1. Conquest. 
Am I always standing behind him and letting him know I support him in his work and endeavors in his field? 2. Hierarchy Do I let him know I respect and appreciate his desire to protect and provide for me and the family? What have I said recently to communicate this? 3. Authority Have I gone on record that, because he has the primary responsibility for me, even to die for me, I recognize him as having the primary authority? Do I let him be the leader? How have I helped him in that regard recently? 4. Insight Do I trust his ability to analyze things and offer solutions and not just depend on my intuition? 5. Relationship Do I spend shoulder-to-shoulder time with him whenever I can? Do I let him know that I am his friend as well as his lover? 6. Sexuality Do I honor his need for sexual release even when I don't feel like it? As a husband spells out love to his wife through C-O-U-P-L-E, and a wife spells out respect to her husband through C-H-A-I-R-S, they can't help but meet each other's needs. You remember the energizing cycle. His love motivates her respect, and her respect motivates his love. In other words, his couple, C-O-U-P-L-E, motivates her C-H-A-I-R-S, and her C-H-A-I-R-S motivates his C-O-U-P-L-E. The energizing cycle works. His love motivates her respect, and her respect motivates his love. Well, friend, thank you for listening. Okay, so there you go. That was love and respect. And again, I love the translations and the the empathy that's all throughout that book. You know, even those little simple things like, you know, some women say they respect their husbands, but they, they just never tell them. Well, then he turns that around with a question. Again, a question hack. He goes, well, what would you say if a husband says, well, you know what? My wife knows that I love her. There's no need that I actually tell her. How would that make you feel as a wife? So all of those translations that kind of connect the dots and make you realize how to empathize a little bit better with your spouse. That is just priceless, in my opinion, in that book. The basic theme was it's really, really hard for a woman to respect her husband when she feels unloved. And it's really hard for a husband to love his wife when he feels disrespected. So how do you stop that crazy cycle? Well, that's just like we heard uh, in the last episode. You know, one person has to try and stop that cycle. So why not that one person be you? Sure, that may mean you have to be the bigger person, but it's such a huge payoff. It's actually almost a selfish payoff because when it comes back, your relationship will be so much better. So that's the takeaway and your hack for this episode, right? Even if you're being disrespected as a husband, you should love your wife. And even if you feel unloved as a wife, you should respect your husband. Take that first step toward healing and growing your relationship. All right, that's it for this episode. Take care, and we'll see you around as we enter into level number four. See you next time. Thanks for listening. We hope you found a few nuggets of wisdom that you can apply to your life. Until next time, take action. Keep hacking and stacking your way to success.